For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. I have absolutely no idea how they managed to um, get so many guards so quickly to go to so many ATM machines right across the country, but they did. They were mobilised so quickly and I wonder as to how something like that is possible. Um, it involved the bank's money, I suppose. But interestingly, uh, the only paper actually that kind of drills into it in any amount of detail this morning is the mail. It says chaos. In fact, they lead with it on their front page. Chaos at the ATM after bank blunder. Uh, bank of Ireland customers um, had an opportunity yesterday to descend on ATMs and withdraw what? I don't know, did people think it was free money? Because it ain't free money. Uh, but Bank of Ireland, they're saying, is facing a crisis after thousands of customer descended, customers descended on ATMs yesterday evening right across the country. Also here in Cork, I've seen the videos, perhaps you've seen them yourself on social, taking advantage of a major IT glitch. And by the evening, customers had detected that they could access cash from ATMs despite having little or no money in their bank accounts. So that's when Gardaí were instructed to, to clear the queues from ATMs uh, um, as people lined up to take advantage of this glitch. Now, thousands of people were last night queuing around the block outside branches to withdraw money that they didn't have in their accounts because of this Bank of Ireland glitch. Now, I'll drill into it a little bit more this morning. Your thoughts on it are welcome, particularly if you're those amongst the people who, of, of those who, who, who... I mean, somebody said to me you could take multiples of 500s. Uh, if the limit is 500, you could take multiples of it. The way it would work is you couldn't, you you you, you put it into your uh, your Revolut account and then you put the Revolut account and you withdrew the money then with, in cash in your, with your Revolut card kind of thing. But I don't know why they say there's any chaos for the Bank of Ireland. That money is going to have to be paid back. And for anybody that got the money from an ATM last night, it's been debited in your account now and you owe the bank the money. In fact... There's no chaos at all for Bank of Ireland. They will now make money on this because they will charge everybody. Um, firstly, interest on it because you didn't have money, so you're going to be charged interest on it. Secondly, they're going to charge you as well for the actual ATM transaction. Uh, so um, apparently they sorted it all out at some stage and you can't do it anymore now. Uh, but the fault had to do with their online app, which allowed people who had no money in their accounts to transfer, they're saying up to a thousand, and you transferred it into a Revolut account. But anyway, um, uh, it's interesting because what would have motivated people to do that? Uh, greed, I suppose, really, um, an opportunity to get free money. But it's not, it's not free. You're, you're going to have to pay it back. Anyway, more on that, but your thoughts certainly are welcome. Text 0868104106. And also, um, another story that uh, was very much doing the rounds because there was video footage of it. And that, of course, is the granny who legged it from her car moments before it exploded in flames at McDonald's up the country in Newbridge in County Kildare. Now, she was very lucky. There was a f- She was queuing up, apparently, for a coffee at the, the takeaway section, you know, the drive-through. Fell in a van be- behind her, sees all of this uh, smoke and licking flames coming out of the engine. And he says to her, get out of the car and get away from it now. And she does. Seconds later, went on fire and exploded. It took out the whole side of McDonald's as well. So Granny's lucky escape as her car burns down at McDonald's is garnering headlines like like Big Mac and Fries uh, in this morning's sun. Uh, The star says, "You you want fires with that? As opposed to fries with that? Miracle escape. And all of the papers talk of the fact that there was nobody injured, thank God. I mean, she... 
mightn't have been there might have been no van driver nobody might have spotted it and we'd be talking about a very serious tragedy and death this morning I see the Echo reporting today that the sex offender jailed for life uh, earlier this month Noel Long is appealing his conviction for murder we'll see how that one goes that's a front page you're making the Echo today and of course the countdown continues for the roads of Tralee and you heard Kelly in the news this morning talking about uh, the absolute nonsense of taking down good luck signs for the Cork Rose. But that's what's happened. Now, the reason they say they've taken the signs down in several locations around Ballincollig is that they had no planning permission and that they pose a potential risk to road safety because they're in areas where they could distract motorists. Really? Do you really think that? I mean, have you ever been in West Cork or East Cork or have you ever been in Kerry? When there's an All-Ireland or a big championship game on, you see the amount of signs. I mean, you see them for not just that. The Special Olympics recently, there was a lot of uh, participants in the Special Olympics from Kerry. And there were signs everywhere with big photographs of people. You go down to Kerry, there are signs everywhere for the Kerry Rose. Everywhere for the Kerry Rose. But yet people try and put up signs for the Cork Rose. And what they do, uh, they take them down. Shouldn't surprise me. Uh, it's also the same kind of councils that cancelled Christmas. So what can you do? Dahi O'Shea actually talks. That's the Rosa Tralee. Um, and and we'll actually, let's take this opportunity to wish all of the very best of luck uh, to the Cork Rose, Kate Shocknessy, 25. And um, put the signs back up, please. Could we have a bit of fun, a bit of entertainment, something to look forward to? Put the signs back up. Get a grip, get a bit of sense. Dahoyoshe thought that he was in trouble when he heard he was going to have a co-host in the Rose of Tralee. Himself and Catherine Tom- Thomas will, will co-host it. He went into the boss and said, did I do something wrong? <laughs> did I do something wrong, boss? Of course he didn't. He's a fantastic presenter of the Rose of Tralee. But there'll be two of them this year because they want to, they want to kind of shake it up. And they want to modernise it. Um, probably not a bad idea. So two two hosts instead of one. And there's a lot of fear and trepidation within RTE these days for lots of different reasons. Uh, where's the money? Where's the money? Where's the money? Who's paying it back? Can I have my job back? Tommy will get his job back. Um, there, the, the the fear actually is more to do will the late late show the revamp of it work. Um, and I see the papers this morning and the bookies are also talking about who will be the first guest, guests on the Late Late Show. Uh, and they're honing in on whether or not it will be uh, Killian Murphy. Wouldn't it be fantastic if Keelty got Killian Murphy on the first uh, Late Late Show? Uh, God knows he'd be a fantastic guest. Roy Keane is another one. Uh, so they're, they're, they're apparently are the top two and they're both Cork guests. Why wouldn't they be with the cream of the crop coming out of Cork? But they're also given odds on the likes of Rory McElroy, J- Jamie Dornan, Liam Neeson, Christy Moore, Saoirse Ronan and Katie Taylor. I like the idea of them trying to get human interest stories from the people of Ireland. Uh, I think that that's going to be a real flyer for them if they develop that. Um, but how are you going to watch it on your television? Do you have a television licence? No, I don't. Why won't you pay it? Because I don't feel I should. But should you go to jail or not? Well, certainly Pascal Donahue thinks not. He says that people shouldn't be jailed for not paying their television licence, as we revealed on this year's radio programme about six weeks ago, following work that Kevin did on it. Nobody's going to jail anymore for the non-payment of a television licence. If you thought that you would be going, you won't. Um, it'll all be about fines and increasing fines. Or indeed, if you're lucky, considering the judge you might get, it might even get tran out. Uh, Joe Duffy got into hot water yesterday. He took on Brian Warfield from 
uh, the Wolf Tones and quite an amount of listeners as well with regards to Ooh, uh, Up The Ra. Sometimes we forget about the awful, shocking unionist and loyalist songs and chants that are out there. Uh, and we always seem to hone in on things that are south of the border and the things that we do wrong. Warfield correctly pointed out yesterday on the Late Late Show that uh, Ooh, uh, Up The Ra, actually the song is called Celtic Symphony, is only a baby's lullaby compared to some of the songs up in Derry where they, uh, they sing against the Derry uh, nationalists. We're up to our necks and Fiend and blood and F-U-C-K, the Pope. But there you have it. Nonetheless, apparently, uh, Joe thinks that it's just glorifying slaughter. Your thoughts on that are welcome. I know we spoke about it three or four months ago. I had uh, Brian Warfield from the Wolf Tones on the air. Um, it's just this song, isn't it? Time after time after time. They had so many other fabulous songs. Um, correct me, but I think I'm 99.9% sure um, that The Streets of New York is a Wolf Tones song written by the Wolf Tones. I think one of the finest songs that I've ever heard. I just absolutely love it. Um, who's pulling out or pulling back from social media? The Taoiseach and his partner. Um, they were just uh, thinking that it might be a good time because there's just too much attention on himself. Matt have pulled back from being in the public eye amid increasing homophobia. He says he's... Uh, uh, no posher than Mary Lou McDonald is. He opened up about his sexuality and his potential plans to have a family. I don't know what that line of thought was, but he says he just wants a little bit more privacy and it's all becoming too um, much to bear with regards to the amount of grief that he gets. Uh, sadly, the Mail this morning is saying that farmers are working so hard that some of them are taking cocaine to be able to drive their tractors longer. Uh, you want to be very careful about driving, co- uh, taking cocaine and driving any vehicle because uh, obviously it is... Um, a criminal offence but farmers are taking it to drive the tractors to help them drive longer because they have to work so hard I guess particularly at this time of the year do you see that story talking about the Women's World Cup and of course England playing today um, the footballer Fabinho um, in his latest match it went into extra timer in more ways than one and there was this grateful supporter just at the end of the match uh, who um, and, and Fabinho was, was playing in a 3-0 win uh, for his team, but as he was coming off the pitch, apparently um, a fan gave him a Rolex watch. I'm assuming that it wasn't a fake because it was a Saudi fan, and the Saudis don't—they don't do fakes themselves because they've got plenty of money to buy the real McCoy. So the fan just gave him the Rolex, Rolex with the starting price of ten grand and upwards. I mean, you can buy a Rolex watch for multiples of that. He kept it. Oh, he didn't give it away. He dropped it for a while. Picked it up again and checked that it wasn't damaged. Said thank you very much and headed for the bus. But you'll see that story in the Star today where um, they're saying that um, if you've had more than 20 lovers in the past, you're going to be a turn-off when it comes to trying to find love. Am I making sense there? Apparently partners ask, ask their partners, how many lovers have you had? Um, it might be in the early dating time. And if somebody says 20 or more, it's apparently a red flag. But why is 20 bad news? Why isn't 15 or 10 too much? Or why 20? Why not 30 or 40? And what, in fact, would be an acceptable number, I wonder? It's an interesting survey that makes this morning star. And the papers also talk about, um, do you know, with breakfast cereals, we all over the years have our personal favourites, uh, even as a child. Um, and there was just so many of them. Does anybody remember Sugar Puffs? I used to absolutely adore them. Um, a little bit later in life, and I've had it ever since, is Crunchy Nut Cornflakes. I could literally eat a box of Crunchy Nut Cornflakes with cold milk. 
no bother. But I only get a box of crunchy nut cornflakes at Christmas time as a treat. But apparently now they are they are really are, forgive my awful joke, cereal offenders when it comes to the amount of sugar in them and how bad they are for children. So Tony the Tiger um, should be taken off the boxes. Um, certainly off the box of Kellogg's Frosty, Frosties. And there are others, not just him. The monkeys on the Cocoa Pops should also go. This is campaigners who have said that all of this bright packaging with cartoon animals must be consigned to history because it's misleading pay, uh, parents into buying unhealthy cereals. Um, I'd say you want to be a fairly dopey parent now at this stage if you didn't know that those cereals are laden with sugar and they are not good for children in spite of what the cereal box might say but from Cocoa Pox Pops the monkey to Frosty the tiger oh and the Nesquik bunny is another one apparently but others might say that this is all to do with cancel culture and wokery gone mad and that we need to stall the ball and pull back it's a bit like the story of Disney's Snow White the movie um, actually, it's a remake because um, apparently it's no longer acceptable to tell the original story from the, is it 1937, if I remember correctly? Yeah, 37 was when the first Snow White movie was made. But apparently we didn't know it, but we're being told now that Prince Charming was a stalker. And that just won't do. Others are saying, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to woke we go. <laughs> But uh, apparently the star of the show, I need to get this right, Rachel Zegler, has said that we need to reimagine the 1937 classic. There is a big focus on her love story with a guy who literally stalks her, and I find that weird. So we didn't do that this time. And of course, there was an awful lot of grief with regards to uh, trying to remake Snow White without the seven dwarfs. So there won't be seven dwarfs or seven little people. So your thoughts on that are welcome as well. Um, I mean, there have been a lot of changes in the past with regards to uh, cancelling or rewriting history. Roald Dahl got an awful lashing, didn't he, where much of the actual... Uh, phrases used in the Roald Dahl books were changed. Ugly and beastly was changed to just boost beastly. Small men were called small people. Um, you've gone white as a sheet was changed in the BFG to you've gone still as a statue. <laughs> Enid Blyton got an awful hammering. Charles Dickens did. Romeo and Juliet. Stuff like that. But I don't know where the, all of this is going to end. I'll tell you what, if you don't want an early end, then you should be mowing the lawn. I actually happen to like mowing the lawn. Used to have a robo mower for years and it died and I'm back to pushing the uh, uh, the petrol mower again. But it's very good for cutting the, um, uh, you know, your problems with your arteries or your heart or, or things like that. So cutting the grass doesn't merely leave your grass in tip-top condition. It could literally save your life. Uh, and mowing, uh, oh, they're, they're, su- they're suggesting that you should be mowing for 11 minutes a day. <laughs> Nobody could mow their grass every single day. There'd be nothing left to mow. And I see another story then out of America from the Star. They're putting subtitles on an awful lot of, an awful lot of Irish films. The latest one they got the subtitles apparently is the uh, the Banshees of Inishirin because the Yanks just can't understand us. And they're saying this morning that American audience are struggling uh, to um, struggling to understand the accents of Irish Hollywood stars like Colin Farrell and Jamie, Jamie Dornan. Um, actually, it's so bad apparently for some European like Tom Hardy, one of the greatest actors ever. Did you ever watch Tom Hardy in any kind of a movie? It, you really have to concentrate on him because he's, he's, he's so powerful 
but it's sometimes you really need to hone in on his accents. Um, I mean, I, I struggle sometimes with East Enders and with Coronation Street with the accents that they have. But uh, on top of all of that, um, not just uh, Tom Hardy, but they've even had to put subtitles on Killian Murphy, <laughs> Killian Murphy's Peaky Blinders. I love it, man. You couldn't make it up. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Uh, just very quickly, just ahead of John O'Donnell's story. Thank you so much to the great Fiona Kennedy who got in touch to correct me, and rightly so. It was Liam Riley from Bagatelle who wrote The Streets of New York. Um, Wolf Tones do a fantastic version of it. Fair play to you, Fiona. You're 100% correct, Liam Riley from Bagatelle. I often thought that Liam Riley and Bagatelle didn't get the international stardom and fame that they deserved as a superb Irish band. So thank you, Fiona. Good to catch up with you recently. And so, on January 31st, we received a phone call uh, from Eddie uh, who told us about his friend that was sleeping rough and looking for somewhere to stay. Eddie said that his friend couldn't read, couldn't write, that he was living in a slaughterhouse for over 40 years. So we asked uh, Eddie to put us in touch with his friend, uh, who we then knew as Patrick um, at the start of our story because of anonymity issues. Uh, and that's where the story actually began. Now, you're going to hear the story now. It culminates with yesterday uh, when we actually all went and met up at his beautiful new home. But here's the journey. I'm very concerned about where you're living. Uh, I don't actually, I don't want to know the name of the abattoir that you're living yeah. in for legal reasons. But tell me, tell me your your backstory. You're you're living in an abattoir um, yes. that you used to work in all your life. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And do you mind me? Do you mind me asking about your early life? Well, uh, in the school early, and you know what. I can't read and write and stuff like that. Okay. So you left at what age? Uh, about 14, 15, I suppose. Were you, were you in, in one of the state institutions as a young fella? I was, yes. Where? Uh, I'm uh, in Lota. In Lota. So yeah. wh- what age were you when you left Lota? Uh, I left it when I was very young. Like what, 12, 13, 14, 15? Yeah, yeah about that, yes. And did you go straight to work? Yeah. In in a slaughterhouse, was it? Yeah. And did you work there by day? I did, yes. Right. And where then did you where did you live then when work was finished? I live I live I lived on the job. Okay. All right. Uh, I, I lived on the night watchman as well, like, you know. So you were the night watchman. So you worked by day and then you were the watchman by night. Yeah. Okay. And you you had all of your stuff there, your possessions and everything there as well with you? Yes. And did you have a bed and stuff? Oh, yeah, yeah there is, yes. Okay. So for how many years was that? Oh, nearly 30, 40 years it was. It was a good 30 years anyway. And did you never have a proper home? Um, I had one when I was young. Yeah. I know, but when you grew up and everything and went out to work, did you never have your own flat no. or a bed sit or house or anything? No, no, it's the only place I know. I tell you what, let me let me just uh, go and get an update because Kevin Galvin has travelled to where John is living and he's sent me on a couple of videos actually and I've just watched them there during the ad break and he joins me by phone. Kevin, good morning. Morning, Neil, how are you? Uh, good. Um, I mean, the, the short videos that you've sent me from where he is, it does look to me like an abandoned factory or in this case an abandoned abattoir, something typically that's been closed and left there for years. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Like, as I was speaking to John here, and I hope you can hear me because I just have John on speakerphone next to me. But, uh, like, even as I said, as I approached the gates of, it, it looks almost like a cross between a, a, a factory and a, and the farmhouse, really. Um, and as I said, like, even when you get to the gates of it, if the doors were closed, you wouldn't think anybody was in here. The, the All of the roofs have totally caved in, apart from the actual abattoir building itself, but all the outbuildings, all the roofs have caved in, including where John said he was living, up until about a year previous to the roof collapsing. Um, inside here now, there's a kind of a porter cabin inside the actual abattoir where John's kind of living quarters, let's say, are. But if you take one step out to the right, you're in the fridge area where all the pigs and sheep would have hung. Um, and if you go around the back, you would be where they've been slaughtered. And really, apart from it being cleaned, nothing has changed of the building. It, it is exactly as it was when it was left abandoned a few years ago as an abattoir. Uh, I did see in one of the videos um, what would have been, and it's now clearly obviously switched off, but a very large meat storage fridge uh, and uh, his, his, his laundry's hanging up there to dry, is it? That's right, yeah. So I was kind of saying it's almost the irony of having one thing hanging to another thing hanging because this is, is so you would have, I'm actually standing in the room now, so you would have the... Um, you would have the at the back where the cattle came in they come in through a small door and there'd be a pen and that pen is still relatively it looks still relatively new it, it, it certainly wasn't the original pen that was there when John started working here and then you can see the contraption where they would have hung they would have there's a big hook and a mechanical hook that would have picked and lifted those uh, those animals to be hung on the rail and then as you go down towards the rail um, the, John has a kind of a, a makeshift uh piece of twine that he's kind of or a string that he has tied up on the columns that support that big uh, contraption and uh, he's hanging his a lot of his washing off there and that kind of seems to be a kind of a makeshift wardrobe but like Neil either I mean I've lived, I lived in a cold country house myself but this is absolutely nothing compared to it this place is freezing it's totally untouched and apart from the little Porsche cabin where John has a, has a small warmer it's it's not you know, it's essentially a makeshift living space. Yeah, no matter, no matter what one would do there, one could never turn a scenario like that into no. a home. But his, have you visited where he is? Is he okay showing you where he where he lives or where he sleeps yeah. or where he cooks? So yeah, this is it's where the bed is essentially contained within the porter cabin where he is. So in here you have the bed and there's a heater and there's a TV and there's a there's a there's a kind of a washing machine and um, just bits. There's, there's two pit bulls that had arrived on the door six months ago that still haven't a name. There's scraps left out for them on the floor and just some some stuff to make some food and coffee and and instant coffee and that's kind of that's basically it. all within in a fridge inside of, inside of what is essentially a kind of a porter cabin nailed onto one of the walls of the the abattoir but every other room inside here is still very much a slaughterhouse you would know exactly what it is when you came in here mm-hmm. so that that porter cabin is attached to the outside not inside it's, no it's in the inside so you come in the main there's inside. a big gate and you come in the big gate and then just inside there's kind of like a plasticky uh, porter cabin I suppose is what you'd call it uh, with a kind of a this corrugated iron on the inside and, and that's kind of it's almost there's an inside wall one of the inside walls is kind of the back wall of it if you like and then the porter cabin is kind of built onto that around it okay. Um, okay. so it's uh, but like even there's no like I'd say there's absolutely no insulation on these porter cabins they're just PVC mm-hmm. um, that's all it is it's just a PVC a little PVC porter cabin that seems to have been installed here um, but other than that, the rest of the building, like even as John was saying, he was living in what he called the canteen, which was one of the buildings across 
the, the kind of farmyard here and the roof on that is totally collapsed all the outhouses all the roofs have totally collapsed so it's 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 like a short of knocking and completely rebuilding this place is a not a suitable place for anybody to be living it's it's barely a suitable place if cattle were still here to be totally honest with you yeah and, and again this was somewhere that he knew very well all his life because he worked there and he did his shifts during the day and then he was the watchman at night so he had a bed there anyway so when all of that closed he literally just stayed on you know and that was it yeah he literally just stayed on where he was and um, there was no as, as John was telling me that there was there doesn't seem to be any real sort of push from anybody to try and help him out in this situation apart from when he's a couple of pals who bring him down to, to do his shopping and he has Eddie who was looking after him who we spoke to on the show earlier yeah. but other than that, uh, like even the neighbours here, they, they, they would know that he is here, but I suppose he's kind of a, almost a persona non grata because of his living conditions. So, um, and it's, it's a pity because we've, as you've been hearing on the show all day, people have been calling in and oh, we had a caller on earlier, uh, whose dad worked with, with John and, um, was just singing his praises about what a nice man he is. And I, I, I can only say the same thing. I can't understand why somebody like him would end up in a position where he's living in a place like this. Is he excited that this could potentially change now um, after this morning, that things could get considerably better for him going forward? Do you want to tell him yourself, John? Well, just, just ask him there, yeah. Well, yeah, not sure. Are you excited about the potential uh, the potential of, of things changing for you? I am, yes. Mm. Can you hear him, Neil? I can hear him, yeah. Is he on speakerphone? <laughs> He's on speaker with me. He's standing next to me, yeah. John, thank um, you. Thank you for allowing Kevin to see where you're living. Appreciate that's that. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been describing it. It's shocking. Yeah. 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 We, we, would, we would hope that by talking with you and him visiting and also talking about it on air, that somebody somewhere who can make a decision can improve things for you, you know? Yeah. So would you be, would you be optimistic that things will get better, that you will get a place... Yes, I will. Well, what's going on is it, Paddy? Paddy is going to drive me in now, Friday. What's in, Paddy O'Brien? Paddy O'Brien. Yeah, Paddy O'Brien is going to drive me in Friday morning to the to Connolly Hall again. And tell me, yeah, well, hopefully the next few days now will make a huge difference to your circumstances, right? Hopefully it yeah. will. But do you not, you don't go out anymore for the few pints, do you, know? Do you just keep... No, they're going to slip in there. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Because when you're younger. Yeah. Yeah, but John was telling me this. I said to him, did you feel kind of haunted in a place like this where there were live, you know, animals that had been slaughtered and you were living here? And John said, well, only really after the few drinks, you'd, you'd kind of yeah. you'd come back out and you'd kind of get spooked because you'd realise what was actually going on. But yeah, it's just, yeah. it's incredible to think that somebody would spend their whole life living in a place where animals were slaughtered and hung. You know, it's just... It's it's like something out of a horror film, you know. Can you imagine waking up in the morning and you come outside your door, you've had your breakfast? And no, I get that, but it, it would be that would be even more tragic if he, for instance, wasn't in the system. But he has been in the system, you know, and the system has failed him, and for whatever reason, he has been forgotten about. And that's what we want to put right, you know. How, how would you sum it up in a word? The conditions there. Experts. Yeah. Maybe the best word, uh, or, 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 and I mean, even 
like even John, he has a, a kind of a craft knife, I suppose, kind of just hanging up outside the door in case there's any unwanted visitors. I mean, if if I was in John's situation, and I don't want to be putting words in John's mouth, but I would be petrified living in a place like this. Mm. You know, out in the middle of the, the country, out in a place where it's unsuitable to live, and at any moment somebody could come down the laneway and you don't know who they are. You know, it's in total darkness. I mean, John was telling me only recently somebody gave him a generator to provide power. Other than that, uh, when the power went out in the winter, he said you'd almost be biting off your own toenails with the cold. I don't know how you survived the winters there, to be quite honest with you. You couldn't, no matter what you did, you couldn't heat a place like that. It's just impossible. I've seen, look, I, I mean, we've, we've dealt with cases on this show and unfortunately there's plenty of people out there still, like John and Noreen and 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 that, that poor lady out in Blackpool, but this is definitely the worst living conditions I think I've ever seen anybody live in. Okay, all right. Okay. okay, I'll let you get back to it there. I know you're gathering some video footage, so, um, but at least, at least from here on, things should start to improve from, and I hope that he's um, a lot more optimistic than he was, say, three or four hours ago, because an awful lot of people will be rooting on his behalf. It's the Tuesday. Remember last week I was telling you that um, on today, Tuesday, John was going back to City Hall to be met with regards to seeing if he could get somewhere to live so he gets out of that abandoned, derelict abattoir um, factory that he was living in with his with his two dogs. So, Paddy O'Brien very much took him under his wing there over the past week or ten days. It's exactly what Paddy O'Brien does. He just helps people. He just gets things done. And he joins me by phone. Paddy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. So, Indeed, it's a great day. What, great what's day the, what's the update? He had the, he had the meeting. What's happened? What subsequently has happened? We had a meeting with um, a, a welfare officer. I have to say, John was treated so kindly. We had members of the housing staff there as, as well. And the, the great news is this, is that John has been allocated a house in Madden's building. Oh, and the man is thrilled. Uh, on the way out here, he said to me, Paddy, this is the happiest day of my life. It's the first time in my life at 62 years of age that I have my own little door and he's he's Thank everything is great for it now. So um, it'll take a few weeks. I think a lot of work, work but should not work. So things must be done and a bit of um, tied up by their maintenance staff. But we're outside the house. We just oh, you're actually window. standing at the front door, man's building. Oh, no, standing, we're yeah. looking the window now at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the house. Oh my God! And is it like in good and nick? Is it ready to go? Or are they working? Oh on yeah, it? it is. Yes, grand. It's grand. I can see, and it was recently decorated, recently decorated, and um, I, I will contact now a community well for officer in relation what 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 money is allo- can be allocated uh, to get in a bit, a bit of furniture, a few items into the Yeah, already people over the last week or two have been offering bits and pieces, bits and bobs, electrical equipment and things like that, which is which is nice, you know, and I'm quite sure that people listening That's will probably even want to offer some more. I have to tribute to uh, Sarah Driscoll a wonderful girl and I think I will meet, I'll meet her this evening or tomorrow because they rallied around her and she rang me Sarah rang me last week and she said look Paddy while that gentleman is waiting for a house she says I can organise a hotel for him ah and that's incredible a, 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 a young girl a young mother of two children and what, did, so what did John say to you this, is he there with you he said today is the happiest he's day of my life over to John now, uh, oh, you see, he's, <laughs> quite, he's, he's, he's a quietly spoken man I understand that I appreciate that but just a quick word for them John, are you delighted? I am, just. I'm very happy to be here now. He got everything rolling. Uh, You're standing outside the door of your little home? I am, yeah. I'm looking in the window. Are you very excited? I I am. It's me first home. 
Happy birthday, dear John. Happy birthday to you. Just How do you feel now? Fantastic. Yeah. First home and everything now. Well, Thomas Ellis, you know, Thomas Ellis went to me there. Say good luck to me and everything. Brilliant. Unbelievably, and John. To take around the tidy like. But, uh, yeah. You should see the scale of this place. Was it unbelievable? <laughs> she was uh, two weeks doing it, for free of charge. Who heard of that? I wouldn't have got these purely for you. And um, I suppose, what's the what's the biggest, like, for you? Like, what's going to be the biggest change, do you think? Uh, Both good and bad now, don't be afraid to say it. Oh, know. I know that. Yeah. Well, the ladies will be around there anyway. Yeah. So long, so long as there'll be no hooligans around the place like yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you won't have people calling to your door. That's true. Well, only if when the door will be always open anyway. Yeah. For the neighbours anyway. Well, they seem very delighted to have you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Especially, especially that girl who came in there with the flowers. Yeah. I see all of this area here now. This was all a backyard. It was kind of like a. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, like there was none. Of, like the yards were much bigger because the toilets were outdoors. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. Right. Let's go upstairs, right? So. How do you feel? How do you feel, Paddy? Right. I know we're talking about John a lot, but how do you feel when you see this and you, having seen you, 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 you would have seen where John was. That it was part of that it was part of the team that did this, you know. Yeah. No. Oh my God. Bed, oh right? my god. Yeah. And everything matching with that the beautiful chair. Really? Watch your watch your head yeah. there. With a beautiful chair matching. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, yeah. Gallic yeah. Light and were very good to us. Um, remember I was telling you that the bedrooms that we used yeah, to sleep in. Yeah. You'd hit your head. head. Yeah. yeah. I well used to but the, and there was no there would have been a tiny skylight, like the size of maybe a foot by a foot. This is blown wide open now, bringing yeah, the last. Now that you've had a few months around the house, it, it probably makes it really easier, does it? It does, yeah. yeah. Especially when you're walking down there for the paper. Yeah. At least it is on your own account, I know. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and like even Andrew there, some of the work that he's done. Well, he did very good work in there. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to all the neighbours and everything. They did up the place for me. I've been helping Paddy now for, uh, for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, beyond when I heard it on the radio, I was only too delighted to help out. Yeah. I heard it on Red FM, Neil Printable Show. And what did you think, what was your first thought when you heard that there was a man living in a, a slaughterhouse for 30 years? I just couldn't believe it. Do you know, it's it, it's a pity. Um, there should be no one living in that condition, really, like, you know. Um, the minute I heard it, I rang Paddy O'Brien straight away and said, I'll help you out here, do you know. Yeah. And I got stuff, you know, I get stuff delivered to me all the time. People donate to me, so like I said, I was only too delighted to help out. Um, nighttime and weekends normally, I suppose overall, 40 or 50 hours maybe, like, but, you know, with all the bits and pieces, sorting out, collecting furniture, collecting bits and pieces, you know, organising lads, I suppose, organising electricians um, and all that, so... Cork City is fantastic, like the, the, the people of Cork are fantastic, like you know. Yeah. It's always on the Neil Printable show when it comes on there, people straight away come up and they say, I want to help out, and it happens every time, yeah. you know. So it's, it's a huge thank you to the Cork people, yeah. you know. I, I have loads of connections there down through the years with, with charities, and people donate to me, people ring me saying, I have X, X Y, and Z to donate, we will have it, like, and I, I store it, and it came up perfect here. I had a cooker. Wash machine, microwave, units and all that. Like, so the minute it came up, we furnished it, yeah. you know. He's, how lucky is, is John, would you say? Oh, geez, he's very lucky. Do you know, I'm just over, I'm over the moon for him, like, because he's just a generally nice fella, like, you know. 
fierce nice bloke like, and you know what I just hope he is the best time ever here um, have you decided what, which bedroom you're going to stay in not yet anyway not yet. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice to have a choice yes, yeah. <laughs> probably get one downstairs and watch in front of today like. yeah absolutely <laughs> there's a lot more going on that we don't know about and people don't like it's happening all over the place like I've been to other properties where I've seen stuff where it is horrific like conditions you know Mm. Um, but myself and Paddy are working away in the back room all the time helping out other people the best we can and how did you get involved with Paddy first? I heard him through Red FM actually with an interview about this house here there's oh, yeah. a lady here living here she was in her door was open wasn't knocking so I sorted out a few bits and pieces for her um, so I got to know Paddy from that he's absolutely beaming you know with the fact that we got to sort of for, for John like you know so He's since I met him this morning, he's just a, a smile from ear to ear, you know. So he's just delighted. Like we're all delighted. Do you know, it's great to see you here, and thanks to Neil Prendival for highlighting on the show. Thanks to Red FM. It wouldn't have happened otherwise, like you know. Would you hope for yourself? What would you? What would you like to happen now from here with this house? Uh, yeah, to say really. Yeah, that's okay. Don't have really. I love to take every day as it comes as it's anyway. As we all should in life take every day as it comes. Words of advice from John O'Donnell. That's the journey, lads, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful story. More on that after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Yesterday afternoon was a beautiful, beautiful time, and it was also even more lovely because uh, John O'Donnell was celebrating his 63rd birthday, and it was there when Healy's Bakery in Blackpool brought uh, the birthday cake. It was also there when a beautiful woman called Charlotte Madigan walked across the small little street in Madden's buildings to give John a bouquet of flowers to welcome him. I thought that was the most beautiful gesture. It was just great, the culmination of six months' hard work and centre to all of that. And we heard a lot from uh, Andrew Murphy, the carpenter, in the audio that Kevin put together. Uh, but also central to it over the past six months, of course, is the advocate for the elderly, Paddy O'Brien. Paddy, good morning. Uh, good morning, Neil. And Neil, thank you sincerely for coming out yesterday. Um, you are a star. No, no listen, never mind about me. It was an honour for me to be there and it was somewhat nostalgic as well, having grown up in a similar type exactly. house, you know. So for me to see the little houses now as how they, they're refitted and so different now, uh, it was it was an honour to be there. But it was just a wonderful thing. So thank you so much and congratulations for making it happen. Not at all. Well, I've managed to thanks once again all the business people in Cork. I'm not going to know them. They're too uh, numerous. And in particular, Andrew Murphy. And one person I want to say a big, big thank you to is the person who contacted me on the day that he contacted Red FM last uh, Eddie O'Connell, a lady, an 82-year-old resident in Madden's Buildings. And having said that, I continuously... Uh, asked myself the question when when I'm speaking with John. I I said to myself, um, I wonder how many more Johns are there out in the country and throughout the city living in similar conditions. Andrew Murphy, the carpenter who worked alongside you, said that there are many. There are many. There are, there, are, there are many. And you're getting first-hand information there. And I would say that the people who can solve this are our neighbours. I mean, I can honestly say that um, when I went to the city council 
who treated him very, very well indeed. They had no idea their mum was alive. They never heard of a John, a John O'Donnell. Never, never, never. And I can't stress this strongly enough. Said to people, if, if you see a person, ask yourself, how was he living there? How was she living there? Contact somebody, please. Contact somebody. Contact the social worker. Contact the health board. Contact the city council. Because it's absolutely incredible that a man was living in that conditions for 42 years. We noticed yesterday, though, his face yeah. and it's a lovely photograph uh, front page of the Echo this morning uh, with his big card uh, welcome home John and happy birthday a lovely card done by a man when Tom Maher in, in Mayfield yeah he struck me yesterday as being very very happy and very relaxed in his new home uh, and, and I'm very sure that he will I'm settle in yeah, yeah, he will settle in. He's got John. Um, he's an, a nice man. He's a quiet, quiet man. Quiet man, yeah. yeah. He's a very, very quiet Never man. stopped smiling, though, yesterday, Paddy. That's it. <laughs> That's right. He's, he's happy. Thank God. I see a big change in him. I actually see big from the first time I met him. The first time I met him, he was quiet. There was no talk. He was yeah. nervous. He didn't know what was happening. He didn't like big crowds. They take him to places to meet people on various occasions. We had to go into the city hall yeah. six or seven times up the corner of the But no, he's more relaxed. And I must say that um, David O'Connell gave him a lovely David O'Connell soup um, distributors. Soup, yeah. gave, him a, gave him a lovely outfit. Thanks to all the people who helped yeah. the Trojan walk behind the scenes. And I think. I that, have- yeah. I, I know he will be happy out yeah, there. I have the list of people for thank yous in a few minutes yeah. time but his circumstances were dire and I suppose credit is also due to Cork City Hall and the corporation for seeing that uh, it took a little longer than we thought but at least they acknowledged that he needed somewhere to live exactly and, I mean, yeah. the, the most important thing to me is that I was told in June we had the keys but I knew it was going to happen as I said last January when you interviewed me the wheels are in motion because I was dealing with very Good people in the, in the city hall. I would have to say they're very sympathetic. They're very caring. They're very kind. But John and Tim just spoke to him. They realised and understood his position quite well. They were making uh, asking him any awkward questions, and I would thank them for that. Yeah. But look, it's at the end. Well, it's the end of a desperate bad life and it's the beginning of a new new life. Please God for him. He's in a nice home. He said to me last night, "I can sit down." What he used to do is this. This is a lifestyle. His television was continuously on, and he'd go into, into a bit of a bed, and he'd fall asleep at nine or half past nine. And whatever station he was listening to, the television would automatically switch off. He was up every morning because the television came on at half past five in the morning. Every morning he was up at half past five, he had his breakfast, and he would boil everything. He'd boil a sausage, a rasher, a sausage, a bit of... Badges. That was his lifestyle. Yeah. And people would like to hear this. And I was very really impressed when I heard this about him. That he was never, he was once in his life at a doctor. He was never ill. He's never complained. He's not on any medication. They're living in appalling conditions. Yes, absolutely. Cold under winter. But he was at a doctor once. What, what was his problem? He was applying for a medical card. And that was the only reason. And I hope he continues that way. That you said yesterday he was smiling. He was smiling. He's a, he's a happy he's a happy man now. He's very happy, and I can see the change in a man. A and I, I looked at him. I said to myself, Why did he have to go through that? Why didn't somebody speak out and say, Where's that man? How could he be living in there? A lot of the time, it's, a lot of the time, it's neighbours that actually pick up on things like this. We chatting, chatting with the chap in Madden's buildings yesterday, and unfortunately. I happened to be in, in the in the house yesterday where that poor man 
was dead for seven months. And uh, right. I also heard more about the story yesterday of an elderly woman uh, who was uh, who also passed away in Madden's buildings recently. And I got to see the house and the condition that this poor elderly woman living was living in was absolutely appalling. But it was the neighbours that were helping her. You know, she'd give yeah, the neighbours yeah. a few bob and they'd do the bit of shopping for her. That's right. Without yeah. neighbours, people would be lost. Oh, yeah. Neighbours play with And neighbours neighbors themselves almost realise that because regressively. And unfortunately, I go to areas and the people don't know who's living next door to them. Yeah. And listen to your programme this morning. There are thousands of elderly people. And I'd say, look, look. As, b- 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 knock on the door and ask for a pepper, are they all right? Yes, okay. Uh, you know, okay. Um, make the first move yourself. You don't expect a sick person or an elderly person to come to you and say, I'm looking for help. You make the first move, knock on the door, because I, I've i been saying for years, and knock on the door can save a life. Okay. You must feel great, though. It must feel a real sense of achievement to have got this across the line, the keys of his own front door, and the layout and the kit out of the house is just like something yeah, out of uh, homes, a home and garden magazine. Beautiful. He's going to have a television downstairs. Gorgeous. He's going to have his television up in the bedroom. There are Gorgeous. two beautiful, be- beautiful bed- bedrooms. His brother's going to come home. A brother he hasn't seen in the last twenty years. Beautiful. He's um. He just he just will not know himself. Totally. And um, he has his own little place. I wouldn't see her over at the cook at the cooker, and it's lovely. And we'll cut for space. And Andrew from Glen, Andrew Muffin from Glen, he's a genius. We were cut. We we also had a fridge. So what he did was that there was a cloakroom. So he stripped down the cloakroom. He, he did it. Under the stairs. Do you know that little under the stairs alcove? Yeah, put it to yeah, good and, use. And then put, on, put under the... Put the um, Lovely, yeah. yeah put, a, put, a, put the fridge in there. Paddy, 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 well done. Great to catch up. Um, that's, that that is a job well done. Great sense of achievement on everybody's behalf for getting it across the line. Congratulations and thank you so much as always. Thanks very much, Neil. Take Thanks care, Paddy O'Brien. Other thank yous, um, Andrew Murphy, of course, the carpenter who worked um, at least 50 of his own hours, but and that was just on physical work that he did on the, in the home. And But he also spent an awful lot of time coordinating all of the other services and trades that needed to be part of finalising and just finishing the lovely little house. So thank you, Andrew. Uh, Yvonne Murphy, the curtain maker of So Stylishly, who did such beautiful work on the curtains. Now, the furniture and the, and the carpets and the curtains and the beds and the duvets and the dining room come kitchen and the white goods and everything. It's just glorious to see it yesterday. Elaine Daly, who did so much house cleaning. Well done to her. Healy's Bakery for the birthday cake. Colin McSweeney from SOS Binding. Uh, Kevin Hurley from Centra. Uh, furniture Centre on Watercourse Road for some of the furniture. Swan Beds uh, for more of the beds. Galaxy Lighting who lit and put up some beautiful lighting fixtures. Alan Morley who did the satellite television. Brendan Kelly from Kelly's Carpets and Flooring on the Old Mallow Road did all of the carpets and flooring. Dave O'Connor from Suit Distributors and John O'Donnell looked a million dollars yesterday in a Dave O'Connor suit. Amb- Ambrose Murphy who got involved very much in Granada and so, so also did Katrina Toomey. Uh, from Penny Dinners. I'm out of time for now, but you can text if you wish to do so. 086-8104-106 and we're back after 10. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Text 086-8104-106. Of course, the wise guys are talking about the fire in McDonald's. McDonald's now has a new flame-grilled burger all of its own, says Dermot. And somebody wondering about the first guest in the Late Late Show, and I was talking about perhaps Killian Murphy or Roy Keane or something. The bookies are talking about them as being favourites. But Maureen in Temple Martin is suggesting that it would be absolutely hilarious if Keelty had Ryan Tuberty as his first guest. You would never know. And with regards to John O'Donnell and his
his beautiful new Madden's Buildings home. Uh, Eilish in Waterford says, Hi Neil and team, well done. What an amazing, amazing achievement. Best wishes to you, John, in your new home, your beautiful new home. Well done also to all those who helped make his home perfect. It is an amazing story, says Eilish. Every single time, actually, over the years. And I know that I've called on the goodness and the generosity of Cork people on many, many of occasions. I've never, ever been let down. And that's what, what is uniquely special about Cork. Morning to all. I'm listening in and remembering when the story about John first broke. Please don't think this comment is anything negative against refugees or asylum seekers coming into Ireland. But where my concern is, is that it appears we have a two-tier system here in Ireland. We have people walking into Ireland without passports and we're housing them. Why did John have to go through so many background checks while this has not happened with people coming in from anywhere in the world. I just want to say thank you to Red FM for highlighting such an awful story right here in our own country, our own city, Irish citizens. What a human being Paddy O'Brien is too. He deserves not just the freedom of Cork, but he deserves human freedom of Ireland and recognition worldwide, says Pat. Fair play to you. You are right, actually. Uh, To some extent, we do operate almost like a two-tier system. And if there is racism in Ireland, it's coming and it's being stoked, and the racism actually has been created by the Irish government. Uh, Neil, credit where credit is due. You have not intervened... Had you not intervened on John's behalf, I'm absolutely positive that at some point in the future we'd have heard the discovery of an old man's dead body in a slaughterhouse. Uh, There would have been a couple of days of public outrage for sure before John would have been forgotten by the news cycle. Uh, Your team uh, and, well, Richie says your team have saved a life today and you ought to be very proud of it. Uh, Thank you for that, Richie, in Toker, a very loyal listener. But I do believe that there was an awful lot of other people involved in this. And at the end of the day, I read out a list of people who actually did give of their time, their services, their generosity and their businesses. And those also need to be acknowledged as well. Now, yesterday when I was in Blackpool, I wasn't in any particular rush to leave. So after everything had finished in Madden's buildings, um, I walked up to Murphy's, got myself a bag of chips, thoroughly enjoyed them as I walked around Blackpool Village. And it was a beautiful sunny afternoon. So I walked many of the streets and lanes of Blackpool that I knew as a child. I go back very often and cycle the areas out there. But I sat down on the, the benches behind Blackpool Church and I just munched away on my chips and watched the world go by. It was, it was an interesting contract. Oh, can I also say, to the best of my knowledge, there's not a single bin in Blackpool that I could find. Not one single public bin. But in spite of that, the place is pristinely clean. There is like zero litter that I could see. It looked wonderful. Now, there are buildings that are closed and boarded up and something needs to be done. But there are at least two or three fairly substantial plots of land and buildings that have planning permission. And I read all of the planning permission notices on them. And they are all for converting these buildings um, to apartments or duplexes. What I'm talking about is housing. So that's what's needed. So that was great to see. Uh, I saw a couple of different contrasts, though, as I was walking Uh, down one of the bigger streets there, um, um, there was two characters there and they were absolutely blotto. They were totally out of it, drink, roaring and screaming at each other. One guy was uh, peeing, urinating uh, between two cars while screaming and roaring at another fella. So that was sad to see. You wouldn't have seen incidents like that years and years ago, but uh, nonetheless, uh, that's what I saw. And then I saw the most beautiful thing. As I was sitting down, munching on the old chips at the back of Blackpool Church yesterday afternoon. Um, There was this man who was kind of like uh, rolling along on his four-wheel electric buggy, right? 
and he was doing a left there by the junction of Thomas Davis Street at the traffic lights and going up a very small hill and he was like as if he was heading for Healy's Bakery, that area there, or by Denny's Fish Shop. And he had his messages in the basket in the front of the four, of the four-wheel buggy, right? And all of a sudden, um, a bo- his box of Barry's tea fell out onto the road. Um, all of a sudden, there was a car behind that just stopped, right? Just stopped and all the traffic stopped. And this woman got out of the passenger seat and she walked up to him and she picked up the box of Barry's tea and she put it back into his, his basket. But she didn't leave him. She stayed with him. And he started trundling along again. Um, up onto the footpath and she stayed with him and stayed with him and stayed with him until he was off on his merry way again Uh, and that summed up Blackpool for me it really and truly did so I was delighted to witness that and lots more besides so lovely afternoon um, for John O'Donnell in Madden's buildings and also for me to spend some time in the area. Went in and lit a few candles as you do and headed away again. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Interesting email from my conversations yesterday about uh, tattoos and members of Angarda Shikana. We live in interesting times, don't we? When we don't have enough Gardaí, we don't have enough nurses, we don't have enough doctors, we don't have enough teachers, we don't have enough firefighters, all of these being the bedrock of our country, if you like, and yet they're turning away or giving grief to cadets who might have a bit of uh, body art. Um, inter- interesting email which says, Hi, did you ever hear the likes of it? People turned away from the Garda Training College because they have a tattoo. Uh, These rules are outdated and need to be removed from the recruitment process in a time where public confidence in the Gardaí is at an all-time low. People are afraid to venture into town now because of a lack of boots on the street. Last year, Garda HQ were looking for Russians, Ukrainians and other nationalities to join the Garda Shikona force to ensure the service was more inclusive. Surely, surely a tattooed guard can add to this inclusive ideology. Did I not hear in the last few days that it was said that Cork has 1,310 strong force covering three Garda divisions and has only 224 officers per 100,000 of the population. This is by far not enough. The census 2022 shows a sharp rise in population levels in commuter counties Yet Garda staffing levels have failed to keep pace with these expanding regions. I can tell you that I personally would have no problem with a tattooed guard coming to my assistance. Neither for that matter would I have a problem with a tattooed surgeon operating on me. The Justice Minister and Drew Harris need to cop on and do their job properly. And that's by text to neil at redfm.ie. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Oh, where is all this lack of Gardaí? Neil, we're forever being told about not having enough boots on the ground, yet they were able to, uh, to man all of the Bank of Ireland ATMs at the drop of a hat, yet they can't take down drug dealers or protect tourists. Uh, another one says, I bet that a lot of people who tried to withdraw money last night are fed up of being screwed by the banks and they saw it as a chance to get one up on the bank, I think. And the third one for now, Bank of Ireland says that the maximum withdrawal per day is €500. Euro. Well, Neil, at one minute to midnight, one could take out 500 One minute past midnight, another 500 Are IT staff's background properly vetted for these jobs? The customers are entitled to know what the glitch was, to be honest. Was it some kind of trial cyber attack? Strange that the ATMs were allowed to work and banking online could not work, says Anne. Interestingly, I did see some tweets on this with regards to how people felt about it. One Twitter user says, what the people did at the ATMs yesterday was basically stealing, and that's a crime. 
I'd be ashamed to be in those queues. These low lives have no place in a decent society doing that. It really is a sad reflection of the people of this country at the moment. It was disgusting to see. I mean, if you thought it was free money, it wasn't. uh, And it has to be paid back. And you'll probably get extra charges for it on top of it. So taking it from the ATM uh, will probably actually ultimately cost money. But Frank, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Are you a a Bank of Ireland customer now? No, I'm not, um, thankfully. Um, I mean... I suppose the big joke in this is that Bank of Ireland are, are probably, pardon the pun, laughing all the way to the bank. They'll make it in charges. But if you were a Bank of Ireland customer yesterday, would you have been um, in, in any way tempted to withdraw money? Uh, Neil, don't fool yourself. Of course you'd be tempted, but would you do it? I mean, Neil, this is nothing new. Back in 1986... The TSB at the bottom of Cathedral Road on the August Bank Holiday Friday. When you put in your card for yeah, money. In 1986, the were there ATM machines in 1986? Oh, there were, yeah, there were. Was there? I think there was, I think there was about 79 or 80. I'd have to go back to a reading in the years now, but they have it. Um, <laughs> but in 86 on the Bank Holiday Friday, the ATM and TSB Cathedral Road, when you put in your card, it gave you double the amount you were asking for. <laughs> a bank holiday present. So, so word spread. I was working up in a place called BG Turnkey, Holly Hill. I remember it. Uh, and word spread to BG and fairly quickly across the road to Apple. And there was fellas taking half days and there was queues <laughs> up Cathedral Road until the machine, until the machine was eventually emptied. <laughs> no. Where things are different today, nobody back then paid it back or had to pay it back for the simple reason. It was so simple to open a bank account. You literally walked into the bank and opened an account. So by the following Tuesday or Wednesday, everybody had changed to some other bank and got their wages put into that one. So TSB could go and fly like, you know. People literally closed their bank accounts and moved to a new bank. Oh, they, well, they didn't actually physically close them or ring them and close them. They just basically ignored that bank account and went away and opened, opened another one. I mean, today, you know, you need, what, about 76 different types That's of right, ID yeah. before you can op- open That's one. Right. Like. But I mean, I'm, people are talking about the guards here now, and I'd say it's a very thin line. Right, taking money that's not yours is a crime. We all, we all say that. But if you actually have a Bank of Ireland account... It's a civil matter to be overdrawn. That has nothing to do with the gap. I'm not saying that it... There's no prosecutions involved here, but I just can't help but wonder, what did people think would actually happen if they went and got €500 Euro from an ATM machine that wasn't theirs? You, you just hit the nail there. What did people think? They obviously didn't. Because if the bank strictly enforced their own rules, what happened was actually an overdraft. You facilitate of an overdraft, and there's 16 to 17 percent interest on an overdraft. <laughs> so the, the bank will make absolute millions out of this. But the bigger the bigger issue here, and the bigger worry is, see what could potentially happen to our banking system. Cat, Neil, it doesn't it just show you that we cannot afford to go completely cashless. No, um, but it also means that cash isn't safe in banks. 
Neil, I think we learned that back in 2008, didn't we? Well, more to the point that anything could happen to the banking system at any time and your money in your deposit account could be wiped out. Anything can happen. Of of course, it could and don't fool yourself. It will. How much does it... You think it will ultimately happen? Oh, definitely. I mean, the hackers are getting so... I mean, Neil, when I say this is nothing new, back in June of this year... Bank of Ireland were fined 24 million because of their sloppy IT systems. So hackers, that, Russian that, cyber attackers could three just... Three yeah. Russian, I'd say Neil at this stage, a nine or a ten-year-old could probably hack Bank of Ireland. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, you know, I really shouldn't. You, you know, but I mean, 24 million three months ago they were fined because their systems were so bad. Yeah, if people thought this was free money, though, it's far from free. Oh, it's not. Oh, how, it's not every, everybody how, will have, who do will, will be paying it back in, and interest. In, I'm told here on ATMs, in 1980, the first pass card and machine, also known as I, an ATM, I, was opened I, I by Bank of Ireland. 1980? Yeah, reeling in the ears is replaying at the moment to have six on RTE. And last night was 85, so it would have been five nights ago that came back on you. Wow, I didn't know that. Uh, 1980, the first pass card. We used to call them pass cards at the time, apparently. That, that's right, they were pass cards. I think it, yeah, you probably got one out for your 40th birthday or something <laughs> like But Thank uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> Saucy puff. How much is in an ATM, do you know? Oh, I wouldn't have it. You'd probably have to ask the, the digger drivers up around Dundalk or something. <laughs> Um, but I with somebody with the JCB would tell me, is it? I presume thousands and th- <laughs> I presume they hold thousands and thousands. Like. I'm just curious. <laughs> I mean, are they? Is, is, I presume there's a big safe behind it. There's not a fella standing in there seeing what, how much you want and pushing it out through. Like. I know. Tash is an amazing story. I mean, you remember the Passage West story with the Northern Bank money, don't you? Apparently, um, when <laughs> unfortunately, without going into too much detail about some people down in Passage West, some of that money found its way down there, apparently, and ultimately was unusable, and they were burning it. And there was Northern, right. Bank, there was Northern Bank money or a little cinders of it uh, descending from the skies of Passage West apparently years ago. Ah, but, but Neil a funny, a funny part of that is that there was another no names will be mentioned another Cork fella was actually prosecuted and went to jail Yeah, oh, yeah. because he, he was moving uh, Northern Bank money he was caught in Houston Station you'd never guess where he had the laundered money uh, was it in a shopping plastic shopping bag or something no, it was in a box of personal. <laughs> <laughs> so it really was laundered money. <laughs> You're in great form. We shouldn't be laughing because this was serious criminality. But anyway, I hope people okay. will forgive me. Thanks a lot, my man. Thank you a lot, Frank. Thanks, Take care, bud. Cheers. Text 0868104106. You're talking about Garda response time, Neil. Uh, here's my summation of it. Uh, and this isn't in any meant as any criticism of actual members of Garda themselves. Burglary, response time, three hours. Assault, response time, two hours. Domestic disturbance, assault time, uh, dis- uh, sorry, uh, response time, three hours. Junkies loitering low resources, violent incidents, four hours response time, Uh, granny not wearing a mask, instant, online criticism of a TD, instant, banks losing their money, response time, instant. Uh, keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Just saying on the topic, actually, I want to chat with Jess Kelly, who's the technology correspondent with News Talk and joins me by phone on this ATM chaos. Jess, good morning. 
morning. How are you? Good. We've been talking a lot about it already this morning, but what exactly happened? I'd love to be able to tell you, but we don't actually know. And that's one of the most interesting and frustrating bits of this. It's been described as a technical issue uh, that saw people, as I'm sure you know, being able to transfer money, uh, even if they didn't have money in their account, to a Revolut account and take out up to €500. Euro. Now, what's interesting is that, as I said, we don't have the exact nature of the issue, but this isn't the first time that we've encountered technical difficulties, particularly with Bank of Ireland, over the last number of months alone. Um, you know, at the end of June, we saw people being locked out of their online banking entirely, which causes serious disruption for so many people. Uh, but they have said that people who did take the money out will have to pay it back. Uh, so if you are sitting there all happy this morning, delighted with your 500 quid, uh, they will get it back one way or another. And is it just 500? You wouldn't take out multiples of it, no? Well, they are saying that that is their daily limit yeah. in terms of withdrawals. Uh, that's what they're saying. Now, I have seen some people on social media saying they got up to a grand, but I haven't been able to, to stack that up. So the banks themselves are saying that 500 quid was the limit. In fact, if somebody did take out 500, right, it will actually cost them a little bit more than that with charges, won't it? Yeah, and, and look, it, the thing is that there are different fees and different charges and all the rest, and I suppose they're not going to make this more complex and difficult than it should be but people do need to be eyes wide open like that old thing of there's no such thing as free money and all the rest that very much applies here um, and I think if you are someone who availed of it last night you know if I were you I would be putting your hand up and getting onto the bank straight away this morning just to get it resolved before they come knocking on your door. Do you think really that people who queued at and there was lots of them at ATMs all over the country here on mm. Leaside too that they really thought it was free money? It's kind of naive to think that, surely. I think it's naive. I think it's a glorious story. You can see the the, the movie. You know, it, it's almost like something from a film, so you could imagine it. Uh, but we know that these banks are businesses, and they're not in the business of giving free money. In fact, you know, if you're overdrawn or if you owe fees, they come looking for you pretty sharpish. So they're not going to be giving five hundred quid away for nothing. I do think it's slightly naive to think that there would be no comeback. Like people need to remember that you're. Uh, debit card and your PIN, it's all fed back into a centralised system. So not only will they know that this money came out of your account, they'll know where it came out of your account and what time it came out of your account and all those other elements. So I, I just think it's a, it's a nice story, but mm, uh, mm. not a reality. And people got up in the, caught up in the frenzy of it. But paying it back, though, surely somebody could potentially say, I will pay it back, but I can only afford to pay it back at €2 Euro a month or something like that. Yeah, look, I think that's, that, that's going to have to be taken into account as well. Um, but what I would say is that the bank at the moment, like, it, it, let's just imagine you're one of the people who did this, right? And you didn't have any money in your account, but you managed to get the 500 quid out. Any money that goes into your account between now and the end of time, technically, some of that belongs to the bank because you took money that wasn't yours, so they're going to take the money back that is theirs. Uh, so if it is just two euro a week that's going into your account, I, I would imagine that they would take it or that some, some plan would have to be worked out where all 500 of these euros will be paid back. It's a lovely story nonetheless, you're right, but doesn't it show the seriousness of the potential issues regarding our banking? This is described as a major IT glitch. You, you, you can't get a bigger glitch than giving people free, in inverted commas, money. How, pot how potentially risky is our banking system, do you think? Well, look, this is something that, you know, I... I 
as much as I've enjoyed the, the entertaining element of this, uh, as a tech journalist, I've been sitting back this morning kind of scratching my head going, this doesn't sound like a glitch to me. This is a major screw up. This is a serious issue. You know, you, I and everyone else who wants to get access to our money, we have to have our ID, our date of birth and a three, a six digit pin. If you want to go into a bank and get access to your money, you have to bring ID and all the rest. And yet a glitch can cause free money to be sent around to everybody in the audience. Like that's just not okay. And I do think serious questions have to be asked. We know over the last number of years that traditional banks have been under pressure to invest in their technology, particularly as players like Revolut come to the fore. But if they're not at the races, you know, that, that's a serious concern because all it takes is a click of a mouse or, yeah. or, or you know, yeah. a, hit, a hit of a button for something to go wrong. Yeah. And that yeah. shouldn't be the case. And so it I seems if these cyber criminals are always one step ahead, doesn't it? Yeah, but and it's not just cyber criminals. There's also human error and there's a bit of incompetence and there's all kinds of other things that can lead to something like this happening. Now, as I said, I don't know the nature of uh, the particular circumstances here, but I, like as a Bank of Ireland customer myself, myself, I'd like to think that there's a bit more to it than, you know, a little glitch going wrong and all of a sudden money disappearing. Um, so I do think serious questions will have to be asked. But as I said at the top, this isn't the first time that we've had tech outages and tech glitches at this bank and other traditional banks as well. And it should be a cause of concern for people because... Yeah, yeah. You're, uh, you're, probably far, you're probably too... Just finally, I think you're probably far too young to remember we had a chat with a chap a while ago who said that back in 1985 on Side, an ATM machine on the north side of the city in 1986 gave out double the money from every single ATM. It wasn't long before that one was cashed out completely too. You look for 50, you got 100. Look for 100, you got 200. <laughs> it was a glorious day in Cork that day, apparently. <laughs> what a time to be alive, wow. <laughs> Thanks for taking the call, Jess. Have a good one, take care. Thank you. Jess Kelly, technology correspondent with uh, News Talk. By text, please, text 0868104106. I'd be first in the queue, Neil, if I knew about it, but I didn't. Paying back, well, I might give them 20 euro a month. No interest, though, because I didn't sign any contract and I didn't agree any interest rate so forget about any interest on the money F them anyway because it's always the bank's way but now for once it was the public's way good stuff text 0868104106 a little bit of audio for you here let me have a look and see what this is about RT News reported on uh, Ireland's first ATM uh, speaking with the Bank of Ireland spokesperson in uh, February of 1980 do I need to read all of that out or can I just go for it it's just a small little tip so we're looking at 1980 uh, the first ATM when everybody got their first uh, hang on a second got their first pass card It ought not to. Uh, Really what we're trying to do is to provide customers with the ability to do some of the basic banking transactions uh, outside of normal banking hours and also during banking hours. But there are very many other transactions that a customer will wish to do with a cashier, uh, such as uh, deposit money, uh, to withdraw from the deposit accounts, uh, to make inquiries about certain things. So uh, it won't do away with cashiers, but it will certainly make life a bit easier for the customer and hopefully for cashiers as well. Did he just say back in 1980 that it won't do away with cashiers? Um, I mean, how naive is that? Maybe that's what he believed back in 1980. It did do away with cashiers. Just walk into any bank and you'll see it. we got, got rid of cashiers. Everything. I mean, customer service now, just generally across all services, 
at an all-time low. Don't start me on that. But while we're being nostalgic, let's move a year before that to 1979. Uh, this is another RT report where they were actually explaining, you know, ATM machines are coming. You will be able to get money out of the wall. So they'd explain to people how it would work. From next year, the new machines will gradually be installed at local branches, first in Dublin, then the rest of the country. Just stick in your bank card and dial the necessary information, such as your account number. The machine is connected to the bank's central computer, which can instantly check the state of your account. And if you're in the black, out comes the money. And from the end of this month, using a credit card will be easier too, with no more bills in sterling. The Bank of Ireland, with its access card, went over to Irish Pounds last week. And from the 19th of this month, Allied Irish Bank's Visa card will replace Barclay card. This means the tiresome business of being billed in sterling and converting back to Irish will no longer apply. But will the new cards be as acceptable abroad? Pauline Martin, Development Manager Visa. The Allied Irish Bank Visa card will be acceptable in any outlet which accepts a Visa card. Any other Visa card, such as Barclay card or Bank of Mary card, ChargeX, our card will be as internationally acceptable. And how many countries does that cover now? It would cover 120 countries throughout the world, and there are more than 3 million outlets at which the customer can use their card. And when he gets home, he'll still be building Irish pounds? He will still be building Irish pounds, although he will be charged in the currency of the country where he's purchasing the goods. You see, it's like second nature to us now. We just take it for granted now. You go overseas with a debit card, you go overseas with a credit card, and it will work. Then, 1979, they would not work. They would not have been accepted. You either had to have cash or these horrendous things called traveller's checks. Do you remember those things? But you remember a bit of that report there from 1979, your man explaining how the ATM machine worked. He says, if you're in the black, out comes the money. In 2023, if you're in the red, out comes the money. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Banks actually are amazing. If you went for a bank loan now for something, a car loan or a home improvement loan or something like that, uh, they'd certainly be charging you 7%, 6.5%, 7%, 8 I think even for a car as high as maybe 9 or 10%. But yet if you've got money on deposit, you'd be lucky to scrape one5 or 2% out of them. You giving them your money, they put it in your bank and they don't even give you a fair interest rate on your savings. So they take all right, but they're very slow uh, to give. But back to the phone lines we go. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good. Thanks for holding. You're saying bank, you say Bank of Ireland won't come after people. What do you mean? No. Years ago, in about 2020 or so, I, I went down to get my social welfare. It was it was before midnight, we'll say, Niall, you know? Yeah. And I drew, I drew out the 200 or whatever it was, and I went to check the credit again. And after that... This would have been then a minute or two after midnight. There was the money back in it again, the 200 nod. So I was able to draw that out again. And did you draw it out a second time? I did, I did. And I've done it for years because I tell you now, at the time I was going through a, a tough old patch with all money and money laundering and things, all money and all this. And I used to wait like that. And I draw out the 400 by the month or by the week type of thing. And then I get charged at the end of the month, like a tenner extra. Or when you're in difficulties with cash and that, you wouldn't, you know what I mean? So for four years, no, I mean, I'm taking I don't it for, I don't, for, I don't know for about two or three years now. 
So for about two or three years, at a minute two and a minute after midnight, you were yeah, able to draw the double. double. The double, yeah. And no one but ever you, picked you, up what on it. What would happen then, at the end of that then, Niall, you would get, you would get charged like a tenner at the end of the month or whatever it was, 10 to 15 euro, you know. And when did it stop? It, it stopped. I got out of the bank. That's when it stopped for me. Maybe you could still do it. I don't know. You know, you just stopped know, doing not, it. Not, did, did you just I'm not in that prank anymore? But they never gave me, they never gave me any hassle. Or they just would send me a statement that you done that, and uh, you drew out that, and that's what you the pay back, and that was it. I wonder whose money was it though? Was it the bank's money or depositors' money, or was it social welfare's money? I, oh, I'd say definitely the bank because I never got a letter from the social welfare w- wouldn't give you a double. I doubt it. You know, I'd say it was the bank, definitely. Like, okay, so if it was two hundred, it was, it was it was on the statement you see from the bank. We say that's I owe the bank, not the social welfare. You know? Okay, so I'm just doing the maths on this here, and I multiply by three years. That would be a total of seventy-one thousand seven hundred and sixty euro, whereby you really should have been only entitled to thirty-five thousand eight hundred and eighty. Yeah, but the thing is, so like, they never came uh, after uh, you for thirty, thirty-six grand, no? Yeah, no. What happens is, you would have to pay the double of that back. You see, you know, at the come the end of the month, and I'd have to do two weeks without cash, like that. Ah, it rectified itself at the end of yeah, the month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, the no, and you don't get nothing for nothing these these days, mate. Yeah, so you weren't you doing know? yourself any service, really. There was no, no. benefit. It was handy at one time, Niall, that if you were stuck, you know, and if you need a cash in, in a hurry type thing, it would be better than trying to wait for a credit union job or something like that, you know. Yeah. You could just get there and get the few bob and go off with it, but you might have a long month then after. That's the thing, though. What would you do for money when you were a couple of weeks without it every month? Yeah, back in the... Yeah, you're back in trouble again for a long month, you know. All right, my man. That's a good story, nonetheless. I thought I yeah. thought you got away with it scot-free and we're 36 no, grand up. No, And the thing about it is, Niall, this is what I'm trying to say, is the banks were making money on me and never said anything to nobody, and that probably happened right across Ireland for years and years with people. So that thing there with the £1,000 to me is just pure and utter bullshit. That, to me, is them just leaving out the reins and letting the people jump on the bandwagon, and they'll all have a great old ball. They'll have a great weekend this weekend, but next month they'll be in the race. You yeah, know, it'll have to be paid back. Of that, you can't That's be sure. It. All right, thank you, John. Appreciate it, my man. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six chaos at the ATMs. You're talking about um, the state of play with regards to safety in our country, and I know much of the focus has very much been on Dublin and tourists. An interesting uh, email, particularly on the 17-year-old before the courts. Emailer says, it makes my stomach turn to see about that young fella connected with the attack on those English tourists sobbing crocodile tears in court now. A 17-year-old who, at 10pm on a Friday night, assaults and robs three men in their 20s in an extremely violent robbery is not, de- is, is, not de- is not a child, in my opinion. Should not be deemed as a child. Nobody convinced me can convince me that he is a child. And yet, in the eyes of the court, his identity and the identity of the excuses of parents that let him roam the streets attacking innocent tourists is protected. While we're supposed to feel pity because he wept in court... 
give it a rest. I see that he came in with his mother and once again the father was absent from it. We've heard it all before. Now we'll be hearing about a difficult upbringing, I suppose, that he was a great lad, that he loved the sport, blah, blah, blah. Come on now, Neil, you know yourself that a 17-year-old young fella knows exactly what he's doing. Why can't this, uh, I won't say what he calls him, why can't this fella and others like him who commit violent assaults be tried at that age as an adult? It's hard enough to get them into court as minors in the first place. The law in this country is a joke. You can always email neil at uh, redfm.ie. We'll pick it up uh, after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. And I do receive letters by post as well, don't get me wrong. And James Foley got in touch with me following a conversation with the Lord Mayor recently um, talking about Cork trying to play catch-up in the housing shortage and, uh, you know, the population growing even more, even more to come, I suppose, as we head into the uh, next five or ten years. But he asked the question, how can Ireland, or how can Cork, provide for the whole of Europe entitled to housing assistance, welfare, children's allowance and medical cards? And this actually also is is very pertinent when it comes to John's story and his brand new house in Madden's building, having previously been living in an abattoir. But how can Ireland cope um, to those that come into the country um, looking for uh, a new start Um, with regards to housing assistance, welfare, children's allowance and medical cards. He says, if you or I go to Spain, you'll not get housing assistance or the dole. Spain, like the rest of Europe, do not offer what the Irish are offering. But we have created a funnel, like a cone-like system for social housing, where unlimited numbers are entering the funnel and can't get out the other side. Even if we had housed everyone now, the system in place is not fit for purpose as the word is out on Ireland being a soft touch. Social housing for all and unlimited entrance to the system from Europe is not going to ever work. It is unsustainable, as other Europeans themselves know. The government owe it to the Irish people and deserve better from them. We should have a top-class healthcare system here. Even the Baltic states have better health systems than Ireland, even though they contribute nothing to the kitty. Others may say European law states that you must give to immigrants the services you give to your own. But that is seriously flawed and unworkable. It should be reciprocal. We give to them what they give to us and cut down on welfare tourism finally. The Germans, who have the poorest countries on their border, are very happy for Ireland to take the migrants from these countries and take them away from them. We, meanwhile, are waving a red flag standing up on a rock saying to Europe, We're over here. We're over here. Spain, with more hotel rooms than the population of Ireland, is not booked out with Ukrainians across the summer. Ask why we have no hotel rooms. There's no funnel in Spain. Meanwhile, the Italian Prime Minister spoke out recently about the Irish government's proposal to put warning labels on alcohol content across Europe. But across Europe, wine is a natural resource of Italy in particular, and that's why she's trying to protect the winemakers of Italy. Meanwhile, our own natural resources, fishing as an example, when we've heard of our government defending our natural... When have we heard of our government defending our natural resources or the fishermen instead of selling them out to Europe? The European Union is a great reward for our politicians to retire to with huge salaries, but it's not good enough for the Irish people anymore. And we need to leave now, as in leave what? The European Union, I think you're suggesting? And that by a letter from uh, James Foley. Yeah, I, I, I do also agree with the point, actually, we were talking about 
that um, the European Union is a great reward for our politicians to retire to with huge salaries. Because I'm hearing that that could well be the case with regards to maybe one or two serious politicians, at least one anyway, not too far from uh, the hills of Cork, who is uh, contemplating moving on to Europe um, and may not even run in the next general election. That's just what I'm hearing. But there's already a plum job sorted, a plum job sorted, uh, ready for that individual to move to at European Union level. Anyway, thank you for that letter. You can always write to Neil at uh, Red FM Curraheen in Cork. As we go back to the phone lines, this side of eleven. PJ, good morning. Good morning, Neil. All right. So earlier on this morning, I was talking about Snow White, right? The new version of it. Uh, a lot of it has been changed. Big response to it actually by text. Um, uh, amongst the criticisms of the original Snow White is that uh, Prince Charming was a stalker, that he should have left Snow White alone and not been harassing him, harassing her. So they're changing the storyline for the Rachel Ziegler version film. What do you think? Well, to begin with, I think Neil, along with a lot of other things in this world, it's just PC gone, uh, gone crazy, you know. Um, I mean, these stories are, are, are centuries old, you know, and the fact that they just want to change it now. I mean, if she thought so badly about it, why did you take the big payday for... Um, to, to pay the part of Snow White if you felt that bad about it. Yeah, I suppose she was talking on behalf of the filmmakers who are making the changes. Like, um, I know that Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones came out some time ago and was very critical of dwarves um, or, or, or little people, whatever correct term you wish to use yourself. Probably little people is probably the way to go now. Um, featuring in Snow White. So there won't be any little people. Yeah, but Peter Dinklage himself played the part of a dwarf in... in but no, he wouldn't. No, person. he wouldn't. He wouldn't have. He would have played the part of himself, and then his height was irrelevant. I would think. Yeah, but he still played the part of a. Uh, he was the little person and referred to himself as a dwarf in Game of Thrones on several occasions. Fair enough. Fair and enough. Uh, one thing he did do was he he showed the upsides and and the downsides of it. You know, and I mean, like, where where, where is it going to stop? You know, Hans Christian Andersen um, fairy tales, you know, the Grimm Brothers fairy tales, and that they're, they're centuries old. Didn't, didn't Cinderella get a lot of grief as well? It wasn't the only fairy tale story that's got a lot of grief recently. In fact, I suppose you could potentially find criticism in all of them because they don't oh, fit you, the narrative now. You could, but they were, they, they were written at a different time. I mean, people were taking on bridge to... Um, the Little House on the Prairie there at one stage, Laura Ingalls' um, books, they were taking umbrage to Edgar Allan Poe's stuff. Well, wait a while, what, Ma- they, what would they Ma- find offensive about Little House on the Prairie, please? Do you, do you recall? Um, oh dear, I think it was. The way the, um, the way the black people were kind of Stereotyped. Or, okay, I um, understand exactly what you, you mean know. by virtue of race. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, these were these were books that was written in a time that is different from now. Well, they've re- they have attempted to rewrite and to, and, and to censor and change an awful lot of books. I gave a list of them earlier on this morning. They included the Roald Dahl books, uh, Agatha Christie, right, yeah. uh, even, even apparently um, uh, Ian Fleming's um, James Bond ones came in for an awful lot of criticism as to how women were portrayed. But this is, um, this is a fairy tale, yeah? It is, yeah. It's, it's, it's a made-up fairy tale. 
and I'm surprised the Little Mermaid uh, thing done very well. I'm surprised there wasn't a, a bit of a hoo-ha over that as well, you know. Yeah. You really don't have to do much now to 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 rattle people's cages as far as anything like that is concerned. I mean, even the one comment, the comment I put up there, a fella, somebody came back and said to me, oh, stop moaning. Did he really? You know? Oh, I did, yeah. So I, I said, look, it's called freedom of speech. It's my opinion. When somebody's opinion on something becomes a moan from well, that person. Well, well, you know, you, you understand social media as good as anybody else. Like, you'll always get counter-opinions like that and sometimes to can be nasty. But they, they did say with regards to Snow White, um, we don't want to be... Uh, so this is not anti-feminist to want to fall in love, to want to get married, to stay at home, to be soft, to want to be a homemaker. That's what one person said to defend um, uh, the old storyline, that there's nothing wrong with wanting to fall in love, to, to find your prince, to get married, to be at home, to be a homemaker. Um, but they want a more kind of powerful feminist type storyline in it. You know what I mean? The, the, the Ziegler said that she knows that she can be, this is Snow White, that she can be a leader uh, and that she can be fearless, fair, brave and true. But it's not really Snow White, the love story then, is it? It's, it's, no, no, it's not. It's changing the whole, you may as well rewrite it, Chip. You may as well come along and, and write a modern version of it mm, mm. And, and, and base the film on that then. Just scrap the old one, get rid of the books, and just start afresh. First, Snow White is in a different. Just let children be children. Snow White is a book that, that's, and all them uh, fairy stories. They're, they're books that was that was written for for children. So just let a child be a child. I'm amazed they actually are allowing yeah. the name White be used, as in Snow White, because there's been an awful lot of criticism in regards to books and films that use the the color white as being good. And the color black as being bad or evil. Do you know what I mean? The witch, for instance, is always in black, right? Snow White and perhaps right. Cinderella and characters like that are always in brighter, whiter colors to signify good. So that would be racially unacceptable, unacceptable to many people. Yeah, yeah, and and that's fair. It, it it's really not. You know, it's it's just the way. It's just the way these books was written, and it was it was like you take the likes of we'd say Beauty and the Beast. I mean, you know, you could poke a lot of holes through that as well. Mm. Mm. It, it, you know, and I, I think it's it's just the, the woke society that, that we live in, and like I said to you, for such a thing as um, they're going to make any more films about fairy tales, just scrap the original and just. Just rewrite it. Right, new ones. Gotcha. Right, new ones. Thanks, PJ. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. The actress Rachel Ziegler said that the Snow White story, the original, the 1937 uh, first version of the film, is creepy. She says it's creepy. Uh, comments from you guys on that one. Uh, thought she was Snow White. It turns out that she's Snowflake. Uh, no, it's time to stop woking everything to death. Then again, uh, that would be normal. Um, things would be back to normal. Uh, what was done to this film is nothing short of cultural terrorism. Why can they not come up with original ideas instead of butchering the classics? Which is exactly what PJ McNamara was saying 
before 11 o'clock this morning. Um, a lot of grown men getting their knickers in a twist over Snow White. I'm not quite sure about that. It's just about changing things because they don't suit the narrative now. Ziegler um, is a disaster and totally out of her depth. Her, along with others, will ensure the new, new Snow White movie will be Disney's biggest ever loss and will go down as the biggest demise in Disney history because of what they've done while Disney would be turning in his grave. Uh, one or two more. Why did she even bother making the film so? She must be disgusted with herself now for aligning herself with the story, The Poor Woke Snowflake. Um, for all of the snowflakes out there, Neil, remind them this is not real. It is a cartoon. Uh, one or two more. What I don't get is if they hate the story so much, why be part of the film? And I know it's not the original by the Brothers Grimm, but the Snow White tale we all know from Disney. Leave it alone. Why completely change it and diss the old one? Why not just make a brand new movie along the same lines, but with all the woke nonsense you want in it? As in, make your own film. Uh, why is the prince a stalker now and not when she undoubtedly watched it as a child herself? Is she just another attention-seeking woke snowflake looking for more attention than she deserves? I hope she never watches The Life of Brian, Blazing Saddles or Faulty Towers because we more, it would be more than her wokey, brokey little heart could stand. God bless her little PC socks. <laughs> Uh, some fabulous pros this morning, I can tell you. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106 to other big movies after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. The galaxy far, far away. Probably thinking, has your man lost the run of himself entirely? No, I have not. But the Dunmanway Arts Festival is happening. And part of it actually features one of the most incredible displays of Star Wars memorabilia you will ever, ever see. And the man behind all of that is a chap by the name of Nuri Bakri. Uh, he's also the super chef down in the Lep Inn in West Cork, where Kevin had some seriously good food over the weekend. And Nuri joins me by phone. Nuri, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? First up, well done on the chefing in the Lep Inn. I hear the food is incredible. Well done, my man. Uh, oh, delighted. Thank you so much. Thank is it so true? Much. I do all my best. You are doing your best. Uh, is there a bit of a, is there a Malaysian twist to the food in the Lep Inn? Uh, I do some of the Thai dishes. I do some of the Malay dishes sometimes for the special weekends. And then, uh, you know, it's just picking up people uh, these days. And I'm so delighted to bring all the, our food, some of our food uh, to the restaurant. Love it. Uh, Love it. Hope you're having a great yeah. summer down there, my friend. I really and truly yeah, do. Is, yeah, so yeah. is it true, a little birdie told me, that you have 3,000 items of Star Wars memorabilia in two rooms of your home? I do, I do indeed. Some, most of them is, is, is like a 90s and they're still uh, properly uh, uh, safe and sealed, put in a box, put oh away. Uh, I, I can't display them because I, I think that is probably another 10 or 20 years is going to be really vintage and then it's going to be like, you know, the value is going to be higher. You have to have them perfect in the box untouched, don't you, Nuri? Yes, I can't touch them. I can't play with them and then not even display them. But I most of my display is uh, a new like no 90s uh, to uh, uh, 2000 uh, Star Wars or all these days Star Wars coming up 
figures that you can buy in the shop or online. So like anything that. comes out, you buy it, yeah? No, well, I wish I can, but you know, uh, <laughs> but mostly I done a lot of toys to uh, customize from uh, all from the overseas. People contact me, and then uh, I done the cosplay, uh, uh, doing uh, you know sewing and everything from myself, build from scratch, and then uh, yeah, it's it's it, it all start fueling uh, the collection when my wife Caroline uh, asked, "Can you get me a stormtrooper figure?" So I. I go to the shop, I bought the cheapest Stormtrooper as I can, I give to her and then start fill, fill, fill the collection uh, until now. So, so that's how it years. started when Caroline wanted a Stormtrooper costume. You went on to collect over 3,000 items of Star Wars memorabilia and you now make Star Wars costumes as well. Yeah, I mean, I've done about probably about seven costume now and uh, we have our own tribe uh, Tuscan uh, Black Tribe uh, in Westcock we have uh, six members so far so you dress have... up as Star Wars characters I've seen the photographs I mean what you're making is incredibly detailed it is yeah we, I, I try to do my best even do the my research get the fabric what they do in, what they use in the uh, film so I get the same it's, it's not cheap I tell you what but I try my best to get as close as accurate in the movie. Uh, okay, okay. So what, like, when you talk about costumes, the, the characters I think of are R2-D2 or C-3PO or Chewbacca or, yeah. you know, Darth Vader or the Emperor Palpatine or Yoda, Obi-Wan yeah. Kenobi. Is that the kind of stuff you're doing? Uh, I, I'm more doing on that on toys, but for now I'm doing costumes like, uh, you know, the Sith, the Jedi, the Tusken Raiders. <laughs> Uh, all, all the kind of stuff. But there are some people send me uh, uh, armor to weather or anything. You know, I was lucky enough to know uh, two of the filmmakers in Cork, independent filmmakers uh, like Michael Fitzgerald. I was in in uh, his movie, uh, short movie, and then I know uh, uh, Brandon Hayes, who do a filmmaker as well, and he done a very nice clip for the art weekend in Damaway. Good. And I'm glad you're featuring I'm in the hoping, movies yourself. I'm hoping a lot of people turn up in Damaway art weekend. So this weekend, Don Manway, you're putting everything on display, are you? I'm not putting on everything. It's going <laughs> to take me a week to sort it out. <laughs> so I'm going to put the best I can, the best all the custom toys, and then some of the projects that I'm uh, in progress, I'm going to put that. But on you're going to attract people of all ages down there because there are serious Star Wars fanatics. Oh, out there. Star Wars is just like is you can't call it everything. It's so much merchandise and everything. You know, it's not like a, you know, it's, it's so, you buy this and then you're missing this. You buy that and you're missing that. So you, you call it as you go, like you know. What do you yeah. think it would be the most? Um, valuable piece of you know let's say is there a particular toy that's the most valuable of them all is is more 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 likely is uh, something rare that i have some some that you know like like a weapon uh the toys weapon that from five to uh, attached to the one that is very hard to get a lightsaber you mean is it no it's like uh from the from the 90s toys and then the 80s is not it's not really uh the value is more to 90 toys. I don't know why not 80. I have some of the 80 toys. It's just like 40 years old. Can you imagine the toys 40 years old? Yeah. And then yeah. it still works. And then, you know, I fix the toys sometimes, change the speakers, make sure that everything works, <laughs> change the battery compartment, 
whichever who is rusted or anything, you know. I don't know where you get the time to do all of this. I know, I know, right? Because I'm working like probably about eight, eight, ten hours a day and then I still... Busy with the stuff that people are ordering, so um, yeah. do the well, comics and job and everything. Do you have a particular favorite Star Wars? Because there was many of them. There are many of them. I was I was the incinerator trooper. It's like a stormtrooper with red marking. I was uh, wearing the armor for about two three years, and then I give up. Very hard, very hard to go to the toilet. Very hard <laughs> movement. You got blister, blah blah blah. And then what happened now? That's why I create. Uh, uh, the Tusker and the Black Tribe uh, from the book of Boba Fett. So, it's easy to go to the toilet, it's easy to sit down, and then, you know, movement is so flexible, you know, so happy with that. All right, so the Stormtrooper costume you're telling me then, is it? Yes. Yeah. And yes. what about the films then? Is there any particular one? The film, I'm more like uh, uh, the the second uh, chapter, like uh, the 90s, when the, uh, uh, well, uh, the Return of the Seas, uh, the Penton the Manors, that's my favourite. Okay, so calling all Star Wars fans this weekend, the place to be is Dunmanway Arts Festival to see your collection. Um, you can look but can't touch, I suppose, is it? Oh, yes, definitely. But please come with a, anyone who has a uh, uh, costume or uh, fancy dress. So coming down and we have a summer competition to celebrate people and, you know... It's a fun day for adult and the children, I suppose. Yeah, like um, yeah, yeah like a mini comic con. Is that what it is? Uh, I won't say a mini comic con. It's more like a for the art weekend showing you off. But you know, the 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 reason we're doing this is we are planning to do a big Star Wars weekend in Damanwe on next year. So we're gonna have the whole town closed with about 20, 25, 30 people who dress up like film accurate around the town uh, for the Star Wars convention or something like that. So we try to make, we never have a big Star Wars thing in court. So that's why that's our plan. Uh, we were talking with the community here in Damanwe, they're all happy to do it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, they're all half cracked. They're all half cracked in West Cork anyway, so they jump is, on board. Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> Last I, week I was I, talking I, with a girl on the air. She has seven hundred Barbie dolls. You've probably beaten that with three thousand items of Star Wars <laughs> memorabilia. <laughs> I know, yeah. You'll be know, hard yeah. to beat. I'll see you for some food soon. Look after yourself, Nuri. Thank you so much, Neil. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you May so the much. force be with you, my friend. With you too. Bye bye. I should be very interested to see what kind of valuable things people have in their attics when it comes to memorabilia or tickets or programs or records or first editions or things like that. Uh, you'd never know what you might have harbouring up in the attic or under the stairs or whatever that could be worth big, big money. And of course, Nuri was saying that a lot of the time when it comes to toys or gimmicky things like that, they've got to be in the box and they've got to be pristine uh, perfect. I know my son, for instance, has. Do you remember the remember the dolls that came out? They were about maybe eight or nine feet tall, and there were various soccer players. I don't know who did them at the time. This would be a, maybe twenty two, twenty three, twenty four, perhaps twenty five years ago. Maybe not that long, but something around then. But he's got a boxed um, Roy Keane, 
absolutely perfect, totally boxed and perfect there. Um, and I'm thinking that every year that passes, it adds, adds another zero into it. I think they might have done lots of different ones at the time. Anyway, back after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Back to John's new home in Madden's Buildings. It's a disgrace that houses in Madden's Buildings have been left idle for so long. Well, I'm delighted for John. Why can't they turn these houses around quicker and make a lot more people happy? My family lived there all their lives. Marion says, I have an armchair in very good condition and a small fridge if John could do with a Marion, you're very kind, but having been in his beautiful little new home yesterday afternoon, I really believe that he's not in need of anything, to be quite honest with you. It's all just glorious. There's a beautiful table and chairs there. Eddie O'Hare, the photojournalist, gave it to him. He's got a gorgeous sofa and settee and almost like a, a three-piece suite and it's a kind of a kitchen come dining room. It's gorgeous. Beautiful toilet, bathroom area and a gorgeous walk-in shower and everything. Small little backyard. The, the backyards used to be much, much bigger, but they're very tiny backyards now because there's been, you know, add-ons like a, the shower and the bathroom. Years and years ago, the, the toilets were outdoors. A big, big shout-out to Eddie for highlighting that man's plight originally back in January. If it wasn't for him, we would never have known about John's situation. You're dead right there. Can you please repeat, repeat the name of the satellite company that did the installation for that lovely man? I'm so delighted for him and for Red FM. Thank you all for what you did, says Margaret. Well, that was Alan Morley of Pat Morley and Sons Satellite Services. They're based in Liam Lara. And if you're looking for them, you'll get them online. PatMorleyAndSons.ie Neil, it's heartwarming news about John. Uh, thanks to all of you at Red FM and also to the great Paddy O'Brien, better than any politician would ever be, and so many others. Uh, while you were walking around Blackpool not spouting any rubbish, you obviously didn't go as far as the flyover by Dunn's rubbish dumped there. Well, I also passed along by uh, the, the Bride River, you know, as it, you can see it along there, the back of, uh, the back of uh, Blackpool Church, but unfortunately, all too often, you find people throwing people people throwing stuff in over the wall into the Bride River and that's the way it was yesterday. It was awfully sad. Bags and bags and bags of cans and bottles. Primarily alcohol, of course. And the Bank of Ireland, what I heard is that people were drawing out to a th- up to a thousand and then reporting their cards stolen. Um, is that right? Uh, is that yesterday or the other examples of money coming out of ATM machines? Uh, cash is safest only when it's in your pocket. And that is a good adage, I think, isn't it? Uh, mind you, if you've got lots and lots of it, you want very big pockets. Neil, we are only claiming back what we paid the banks to bail them out. Yeah, that's that's true. You could you could say that that's what happened yesterday, but they're going to want it back. It just goes to show that you should say no to going cashless. These glitches would be regular and would become more regular and you'd be left wanting until it's fixed. Stop using cards to pay for things. Uh, regarding the whole Bank of Ireland tobacco, I'm with Neil on this. What in the name of God did people think would actually happen? Everything that goes into their accounts from today will go towards paying off their unauthorised overdrafts. They're nothing but Egypts, a lot of them. Uh, talking about Egypts, can I go back to the whole area of uh, changing books, changing films, and more to the point, changing fairy tales? In this case, Snow White is the latest one to get a dressing down or to get a makeover. Maureen, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How your, are you? Your thoughts on it? The vast majority of texts so far, people are just angry about it. Oh, Snow White? Yeah. Yeah, it's the greatest load of cod's wallop. I mean, look, can they not leave the children alone? Because they are, this is aimed at children. Can they not leave them alone to enjoy timed classics, fairy tales, 
Snow White, Rapunzel, Sleeping Beauty, Hansel and Gretel, The Little Mermaid, What's Going to Be Next, some of the classic books. Is there going to be something wrong with Heathcliff shortly and say for Wuthering Heights? You could, pot- you could potentially say that his attitude to women left a lot to be desired, maybe. Well, that was the writing of Emily Bronte, but this is what I mean. I mean, how far are these people prepared to go? You know, those, you know, those list, you know the list of um, fairy tales you read out there? Rapunzel, uh, Cinderella, Snow White. Snow White, yeah, Hansel and Gretel. Don't they, don't they all... It's just me playing devil's advocate here, but don't all of those fairy tales portray women as being weak and vulnerable? No, they don't. Well, well, well. Portray women as being weak and vulnerable. They're, they're classic fairy tales. They are fairy tales. They're not reality. The idea that, um, say, for instance, um, the movie makers of the, of the new Snow White are trying to get across is that they want to empower girls and young women and girls to be brave, fearless, stand on their own two feet, be independent and strong. What a load of cods, Wallop. Yeah, right, okay. You know, I listened to Piers Morgan about three weeks ago. He was interviewing, and he was interviewing a dwarf, and that is the correct term, because short people is called dwarfism. And there was this idiot defending this new Snow White, and this man said, thank you very much, he said to this idiot, for putting us out of a job now. And he was correct. Oh, there won't be... You say dwarfs. I'm not sure it's a... Yes, I'm not it sure is that dwarfism. It's, it is no only term. That's the medical term. It's dwarfism. Yeah, but I'm not, sure, not, it's an exce- any... I'm not sure that yeah. it's an acceptable term. I think the term oh, now would be... It is an acceptable term, Neil, because the man used it himself. It is an acceptable term. It's a medical term. Yeah. Dwarfism is medical, and he used it himself. And what he said was, to this idiot, you're going to put us dwarfs now, he said, out of a job. Okay, so apparently I'm being, told, right. I'm being told that little person is possibly more acceptable. Although... I don't care what's acceptable. I grew up with dwarfism, I grew up with the medical term, and I'm not changing my language, Neil, to suit anybody so else. So the point you're it's making that, that, like that actors who are themselves little people or dwarfs are done out of a job. That's what he said, yes. He said, you're going to do us out of jobs now if it, if some show might require, you know, like Snow White, they, it was dwarfs in Snow White. Okay, the pr- apparently no, there are... He did say it, and Piers Morgan agreed. Oh, well, I mean, I, I'm, all, I'm, all for, I'm, all, I'm all for, also all for leaving things alone. They are fairy yes. tales after all. But, they are but, fairy you know, tales, the yeah. world, The world is a changing place. Dwarf, little person, or person of short stature are all acceptable, apparently. Well, they can be acceptable, fine, but I'll use whatever term I want to use. Yeah, yeah. I'm not changing my language to suit friend political correctness because that's what they've done as well. They've also come after language, telling you that you can't say this, you can't use that word, you can't use somebody else, you can't use some other word. Well, you can, you can continue to use and say and think any way you want. Um, and if you don't live oh, in I an online you. world, you'll be fine. Oh, I, I intend to online or offline, it makes no difference to me. But I think it's shocking. They just can't leave anything alone. And I, for one, too, am sick of it. Mm, mm. And I hope it flops. Mm. I hope that everyone walks into the theatres and anyone who takes children to that, that they walk out and demand their money back. But why, why would you think that it was ever even decided in Snow White, even all those hundreds of years ago, that you would put seven dwarfs in a cave? Like, is that not a bit ridiculous? Or is it not kind of a bit... Insulting? Demeaning? No, 
it's not a bit insulting or demeaning. Why is it? It's a fairy tale. But why would they have we to have, be... We, we have leprechauns in Ireland. We have trolls in Norway. These are all little people. Do you, so do why you... would it be demeaning? Okay. But do you actually believe that we have leprechauns? <sighs> well, I've never seen a leprechaun. <laughs> right? But you have... You see... Little no, people. No, it's a myth. I don't believe we have leprechauns. I believe it's it's it's. I believe it's a myth. It's mythology. Okay, but we do the have little people, or people of short stature. We uh, do, we do. We have. Oh yes, and we have dwarfs. We do, yes. Okay, okay. Perhaps I should I should spend more time talking to people of short stature and asking their opinion on whether or not they feel ridiculed yes, by a story like. Yeah, well, they they may because this man said it, and he said now he said now we're out of a job. And that's not fair either. Okay, yeah, okay. You see the people coming up with this and they're not coming up with it just for the children. They're just coming up with it just to suit themselves. I mean, we take the song, um, um, what is it, My Achy Breaky Heart. You know that one, Don't Go yep. Breaking My Achy Breaky Heart. That soon be changed now to Don't Go Breaking My Achy Walky Heart. <laughs> At the rate we are going, eh? Think things are moving too fast in the wrong direction. It is, it is madness. Yeah. Absolute yeah. madness. Yeah. Do you think that, say, for instance, the word, you know, all the Roald Dahl books where were Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, they were describing Augustus Glope as being fat, no longer allowed to use the word fat now. You have nothing to use a word like that. enormous instead. No, nothing wrong with fat at all. Um, there was a character called an u- ugly and beastly, no longer allowed to call somebody ugly. Nothing wrong with the word ugly either. It's a person's opinion. Yeah. If you perceive something as ugly, it's ugly. That's fine, but if you perceive an individual to be ugly, is that not hurtful? No, it's not. If, if it's my opinion, Neil, it's not. If it's my opinion, it's not. A, why should it be hurtful? This is the problem. Okay, hold on but there a sec. Hold on a sec. All right. Okay, Tricia, good morning. Hold on there. Neither. Morning. Hi. Go ahead. Go ahead. Hi. Yeah, no, I was saying about the... Um, we were watching Only Falls on Sunday, and it was, it was in the afternoon, and they said... There was a, a warning before the episode came out that some see, some comment in this show might be offensive to some people. And we sat transfixed watching Where's Offensive. It was the one where they're trying to get rid of Trigger's granddad's ashes. Was that deemed to be offensive, that storyline? I don't know. I don't know. We were watching the whole thing. I mean, they goofed up in the end because they got rid of the wrong ashes. I know that, but, but it, God yeah. Almighty, are they saying that people who have a loved one's ashes in their home in a, or in something... An urn. In yeah. an urn. would be upset, is it? I don't know. I don't know. We were watching it. <laughs> Where's the offence? Where is the offence? People seem to get triggered, they claim, for yeah. all sorts of stupid reasons. Yeah, but you know that... Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs thing. When you were just talking to Maureen there, I just remembered that wasn't this done when they stopped the um, people of limited stature appear in pantomimes anymore over here? Wasn't there a big hoo-ha last year? And they they went berserk because, like Maureen said, cheers, we're out of work now. Yeah. Did that happen in Panto? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember it last year. I know they're talking about characters in films, lads, where they're saying that if the character is Jewish, you must only allow a Jewish actor play that character. Say, for instance, just as an example. Now, is that a good way to go? Um, Not really, because there was a black actress played Anne Boleyn. 
that happened, yeah, right, and that is yeah. happening more and more. Yeah. So, so yeah. are you okay with that, that somebody of colour plays a different character of colour? Each to their own is my thing, you know, but don't mess about with the little, the little things like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which, if I might, I might be wrong, but the original book, they were children and Hollywood changed it to, for the film that they were dwarfs. In, 19, in 1937, they created the yeah. Difference of Dwarfs. So I might be wrong because it was children, because children worked down mines, didn't they? Yes, and okay. The, yeah, I might be wrong, but I'm sure this came up before, didn't it? Okay, love it, I love yeah. it. Well, okay. Oh yeah, that's right, I remember that. They just yeah. were talking about the film Anne Boleyn, the, bla- the, the black girl played Anne Boleyn. Yeah. Are you yeah, that would be the same as me. But sure that would be the same as me playing Rosa Parks. Yeah, it doesn't fit history. But it wouldn't... It it's wouldn't, a distortion of history. It wouldn't... It is I, a distortion of history. I think... I think... I don't know. Would that, would that even be... Would that even happen? But it, there you go. No, of course it wouldn't happen. Of course you wouldn't have a white woman playing Rosa Parks. I think there would be uproar over that, though, there wouldn't would, there? Yeah. Of course, yeah. yeah there I would. think there would. Yeah, I think there would. OK, let's yeah. get some more calls on it. Thank you, Maureen. Oh, Tricia, I, I, right, yeah. I, see, I see England are one-up. I have up. to go. I see England are one-up. Neil, I am not watching. I, my, my nerves are shot. I cannot. I what? cannot watch. Why? I, I, I'm like a nervous wreck. They just, they just scored an absolute rocket into the top I hope left so. my, corner. My, my only hope is that I know the Australian legs lack in the last 10 minutes. So um, I just want them to do one better than the men. You know, <laughs> I just really, really want the women because we went to the final last year for the Euros, and the atmosphere was sensational. There was no swearing. <laughs> it was just brilliant. No histrionics. They got up. No, no tackles no. that had them on the ground for half an hour rolling around. They had, they had perfect hair coming off. <laughs> you know, they, they, I, just, I just think, good luck. And there's no bullshit about them. <laughs> Sorry for swearing. But, you know, they just get on. They do their game and All right. that's it. Okay, oh, 40 minutes in, they're a, goal, they're a goal. Actually, it's the top right corner. It was an absolute rocket of a thing, a screamer. Oh, all <laughs> right, all the best. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Get back to the phone lines and squeeze in as much as we can. Jared, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Okay, um, this is the Snow White reworking. Go ahead, yeah. Well, these, these fairy tales were a bit like parables in the Bible. They were an 18th, 19th century way of teaching children about good and evil, and usually good triumph. You know, most of us, we remember them as kind of charming stories that usually had a happy ending. So if they're being interpreted now in the 21st century as being malign or bad for children, that's a bit bizarre. Well, it's you not know, so much bad for them. It's about um, the storylines all too often um, are, are showing women or young girls or beautiful princesses being rescued by men. <laughs> well, they can throw in the occasional feminine heroine if they like. But, you know, we're talking about... Now we are seeing Hollywood blockbusters with female heroines all of the time. You know, but we... Absolutely, but the, and that suits this this age just as those very tales suited that age i mean disney disney sanitized and made the actual tale of snow white a lot nicer and acceptable the original snow white was quite dark quite quite chilling so it's not actually really was it really i mean would it have oh yeah the 1937 version would it have frightened children you think the original Grimm's fairy tale 
story that was written in, I think, the early 1800s. Right. right. 1812, the, um, the yeah, the, yeah. The stepmother was actually the mother, and she died by having her red-hot boots put on her feet, and she had to dance until she dropped it. It's actually quite... The, the modern version is, is, is quite charming, really. It's very much sanitised and softened, then, yeah. I occasionally go into churches in Austria when I visit there, and some of the paintings and carvings are actually very explicit, explicit about death. Death was real in a sense, then, in a way that we don't actually understand. That if people could catch a chill or a fever and be dead two days later. You know, life was harsh then, and those fairy tales reflect that reality. Yeah, I mean, you can take it way too far, for instance, you know, if you look at some of the storylines. Um, is, is the poison apple frightening to a child? You know, is it, is, it, is it fair to say there is no such thing as a magic mirror and you cannot uh, magic things up or call up a magic mirror, so it shouldn't be in a film. But if that was the case, you wouldn't have Harry Potter, would you? Absolutely not. We found those things delightful. I, I would, my memory is we certainly would have heard some of them in, in classrooms. You know? I know what you're saying. Do you think it's gone too far too fast? Well, I, I think it's in one case this lady is engaging in a very clever piece of PR. She's generating a lot of stories across the globe which is which is no no I, I think that there are a lot more than the odd actor or actress here and there wanting to um cancel or to sanitize or change or to cut out there's an awful, awful lot of people want it well i'm 66 now and suddenly i realize that when we talk about people dying it's not actually a theoretic possibility but it's it's a very real one yeah. you know people have to take us into humor you know, right. you can't interpret everything in the worst possible sense. And a lot of this indignation is, frankly, feigned indignation for the sake of virtuous ignorance. OK, well said. Appreciate that. Do you agree or disagree? Text 0868104106. Just quickly, uh, on the ATM stuff from yesterday, I see uh, that Mick Barry is up on a... Well, he's just a bit annoyed and irate and asking um, this morning, I see in a press release saying, how, uh, how come so many Gardaí were mobilised whether this involved overtime payments and how much overtime payment will this um, issue regarding the ATMs being manned by Gardaí actually cost the taxpayer. He says, it was interesting to see how many Gardaí were mobilised with the ATM fiasco and at what speed uh, that they were mobilised when queues began to form at ATMs. Many communities that suffer from problems with antisocial behaviour will wish uh, that they could get a response from the Gardaí that's even half as speedy as the response to the Gardaí at the ATM um, story, you know, with regards to the um, lashing out of supposedly free cash at ATMs yesterday and the Gardaí were quick to get there to try and disperse the crowds. We are expecting crowds on Lee side. It kicks off today. Cork and a Fork, the festival starts today. It runs right across the week and over the weekend. And I could be here all morning telling you chapter and verse as to exactly what's available. And an awful lot of the Cork on a Fork festival events are free to the public. Let me just tee it up on this Wednesday morning uh, with the one and only uh, John McKenna from the fabulous team of John and Sally McKenna. He joins me by phone. John, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I read it. Great to chat with you again. I was reading a lovely article on you there recently because uh, you're not originally from Cork. You tried out a couple of other parts of the country, but you found your tribe in Cork, I think you said. Is that right? Absolutely, yeah. I was born in Belfast. I'm actually from Andersonstown. Um, <clears throat> and then I went to Dublin and uh, became a lawyer. And um, 
Yeah, I had that epiphany one day um, walking along McCurtain Street in Cork. First time I really visited the city and um, everything kind of coalesced and I just thought, yeah, hang on, this is this is where I want to be. And um, I think about a year later, we were down living in West Cork. Yeah, that quick. And never looked back, says you. No, no, absolutely never. I mean, we built a house here 25 years ago and I think, of course, the thing that has you know, kept us glued here um, has been the fact that for 35 years we've been able to write about the food culture, the prototype of which was created in West Cork. And, um, you know, we've seen over the last 25 years, 20 years in particular, that um, the Irish food culture that's been created is of world-class standards. And I think we're going to see that over the weekend in Cork on a Fork. It's a a brilliant programme. And, you know, it's not in any way kind of, um, oh, you know, look, we're doing this because we want to attract attention or whatsoever. You know, it's by the people of Cork, for the people of Cork. And I think, okay, if you get tourists getting interested in it, great stuff. But it's really to kind of show ourselves that we we have something really significant and meaningful and unique and and enjoy it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And in fairness, you've never been short to give the nod to those that went before, including, say, for instance, Myrtle Allen or Declan Ryan up at the Arbutus (laughs) or Michael Clifford out in the Mardyke or Michael Fleming down in Flemings and places like that. In fairness, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, we, we, anybody who comes after those really extraordinary talents is, as the expression goes, standing on the shoulders of giants. And those are the people who built the food culture, built the restaurant culture, because, of course, they didn't go to the capital city. They opened in Cork. They opened where they were from. They cooked Cork food. And that really was the beginning of it. I mean, Declan showed how you could do fine dining with, uh, with, with you know, a Cork accent. Myrtle created the prototype of the first country house hotel, which everybody in the world then copied. And we're all in their debt. And I'm glad to say there have been so many people over the last 30 years who have become their followers and their acolytes and followed their example. Yeah. And, and that's, that's why we have such high standards. You know, you can't, I, I've been traveling the, the country for 35 years. You can't take it for granted. Um, we have a great food culture in, in Cork. There's an interesting restaurant culture in, in um, Dublin. Galway has a very good food culture, but plenty of other places don't. They are trying and they're getting there. But Cork, to me, is still, um, you know, it's it's the example of having a complete food culture. Yeah, and, you know, yeah. part of that, again, is not just the, the great people. It's the great institutions like the English market. I mean, I, when I lived in Dublin 40 years ago, Everybody was always talking about how we need a market like, you know, like Madrid or we need a market like, you know, somewhere in London. And, you know, you could have said you need a market like Cork, but they've never, ever managed to create it. Never. Yeah, we're, uh, we're, we're, ha- we're happy with that, actually. They, they can just leave <laughs> Dublin just as it is. Thank you very much. <laughs> but let, let's talk about the coming days, not just your own involvement in it, which is quite extensive. What can people expect? What's going on? Um, the answer, in short, is everything um, from um, yoga on the boardwalk. And I should make clear now, I won't be bringing my own mat so people can safely bring children into the city, you know, and, and the horses. Um, so I won't be bringing my mat. Um, but there is really um, what's brilliant about the program is it really unifies the culinary culture of the city. I mean, from, you know, the, 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 the smart Alex in UCC 
to the producers, to the marketeers, to the restaurateurs. And there, there's some really dynamic elements there. I mean, the, Alan Kelly, for example, from UCC is going to be talking about the magic of milk. And um, Justin from Bally Valan is going to be talking about birth as gin. Now, I don't want to set up the program for next year, but really think of next year and you've got milk and gin and you've got mother's milk. And we definitely have a program there for 2024, I think, you know. <laughs> but I'm really, I tell you what, one thing I'm really interested in, you know, there's and now, unfortunately, if you didn't get in the time, it's sold out. But the diversity in, in the hotel um, is featuring things like, for example, Mike McGrath, who's a really brilliant chef from Miyazaki. Like his reinterpretation of cork, tripe, and rachine. And this is what nowadays... Oh, man, I've tried so many times. Maybe this will be the time yeah, I'll get that into my this, mouth. This will be the one, because this is what now we're calling third culture cooking. In other words, you take basic ingredients from one place, you take a skill set from another place... You put the two together and hey, presto, you have something really, really exciting and original. Yeah. And so what Mike and various other people are doing, you know, with ingredients that we think we know, um, is, is that that's really, really dynamic. But to be honest, that's just one element of yeah, the Yeah, it's I mean, described as a jam-packed program of, a, of street fest, is. food trails, tasting masterclasses, yep. bite-sized food trails, cooking demos, family programs. The English market has a cooking demo. Uh, I think it's on Thursday and, and Saturday yep. where you literally, Orla McAndrew is cooking the food of the market, I believe. Yes, yes, indeed. I mean, and, and, and I mean, what a brilliant idea, um, you, you know, from Orla. And not just the food of the market, but showing, you know, how to cook food, that food, without, you know, leaving any waste. Indeed, one other notable thing, again, I think it's sold out. Wonderful book from Connor Spacey, Wasted, uh, which is really quite radical manifesto on how to cook without throwing anything whatsoever away. That's in 51, uh, Latitude 51. But honestly, the program, you know, from, from the stuff, whether it's kids learning pizzas or adults learning pizzas and different kind of fun demos, it's, it's a great reflection of the culinary strength of the city, you know, and that, as I say, that's important for Cork. It's important for Cork tourism if we look at, at the longer term perspective, because, you know, really modern tourism is driven by eating, and places like Copenhagen have shown that. They had no food culture. Galway has shown that. Galway 20 years ago, I keep having to remind people, was one of the worst cities for food in the world, and today it's one of the best. So, how did they get there? a bunch of really good people working together. And Cork the Fork really shows that right throughout the whole spectrum uh, of the Cork culinary culture. So it, 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 like, it's a cliche, but it's definitely a weekend, you know, really not to be missed. And in the coming days, I'll be lashing out other examples. I'll do some more in a minute as to what's available to people to go and see. But I know you're doing uh, a chat with some of Cork's top chefs, I believe. Is that right? Yep. When yep. is that? Yep. Where is that happening? That, that, that's on Saturday in the Marquee. Um, when you say the Marquee, that Marquee is yeah. at Emmet Place, isn't it? It is indeed, yeah, outside the Crawford. And I'll be talking to Takashi, Takashi Miyazaki from, from Miyazaki and Ichigo Ichii and Ashling from Goldie and Claire from Good Day Delhi. You know, and one of the things that troubles me about when we talk about sustainability is we kind of talk about, oh, we need to hit this target and it's this global kind of thing. It's actually not those things. I mean, you can make it those things, but what sustainability is about in terms of running a practical food business is about the philosophy that you bring to that business. In other words, when you look at, when you look at a fish, right, you can see two fillets or you can actually see 12 or 14 constituent parts that you can eat and use and enjoy. And I kind of worry that, you know, a, a lot of culinary education and a lot of the way we've all been brought up is to look at a fish or look at an animal 
and say, okay, you know, there's the fillet, there's the fillet of fish, there's the fillet of beef. Throw the rest away. Now, what what do you do with all the rest? Yeah. And you need to have an, should we say, an origin philosophy. Ashling has shown that in Goldie. Takashi has shown that in his restaurants. Claire, you know, as 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 an economist, as an environmental economist, reflects that in Good Day. Yeah, I recently so was in Goldie. Actually, that's a good example because I, for the first time I had ray wing, and I would never have thought yep. about eating ray wing. And then actually, you would think that it isn't even edible, but yet in Goldie, it's delicious. It's it's unbelievable. But I'll tell you one thing, Neil. Um, one of the most amazing experiences I've had kind of working with Takashi in festivals over the years is you say to people, anybody like eating fish bones? And everybody goes, oh, my God, we're all going to die. <laughs> and, of course, 15 minutes later, right, we, we, we've done this in, like, Theatre of Food at Electric Picnic. 15 minutes later, these people are all snacking on mackerel bones. Nobody chokes, no? Home. No, it's uh, all about a technique. It's about a culinary technique that makes the fish bone as brittle <laughs> as a potato crisp, right? <laughs> and suddenly, rather than this terrifying thing, and probably choking on a fishbone terrifies people more than almost anything else, yeah, right? Yeah. And suddenly we have had an entire theatre of people at a music festival eating mackerel bones. It sounds to me and as if they think they're eating you, chip sticks. You remember them? Little yeah, packs of they, chip they, sticks. they think they're having little kind of potato snacky whatever, <laughs> except it's much tastier because... Uh, Takashi finishes it off with soy sauce and mirin and, uh, and, 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 and different kind of Japanese oils. And, and everybody goes, oh, my God, what, why are we throwing this away? Talented guy. Yeah. 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 Oh, unbe- unbelievably talented. And, of course, the Japanese have extraordinary animist philosophies about, you know, respecting every element of everything. Princess Street, is sold, I, yeah, Prince, Princess Street is sold out tonight, isn't it, for the Cork and the Fire? All the different restaurants doing their thing on Princess Street. Most of the restaurants, I mean, I know Brian Murray and the Glass Curtain and um, uh, Diversity and so on are, are really unfortunately sold out. Um, but there's still loads more. Can I just mention one thing? Actually, I was noticing looking at the program this morning. You know, you can go to the River Lee and get a dozen oysters and I think it's a glass of Tattinger champagne for 40 euro. That That is an incredible bargain. Oysters are expensive and champagne is ruinously expensive. <laughs> and here you can go and get a dozen oysters and and a glass of like really, really good from a good champagne house. For I know forty quid isn't cheap, but it's very cheap for champagne and oysters. If you that's your one, thing. Yeah. I'd be talking to there. the yeah. I'd be talking to the world record holder of oyster shucking tomorrow. He's a Canadian who's heading to Cork for an oyster right. shucking competition, apparently. Be careful how I say that. Let me give another couple examples and wish you well, John, yourself and Sally across the weekend. Good Thank to catch up and enjoy all of the parts that you're playing across the coming days. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Neil. The great John McKenna. Now, can I just say that all further details for Cork and a Fork can be had at www.corkandaforkfest.ie and you can follow them actually on a daily basis for live updates. I told you about the English Market Cooking Demo. There's also going to be a wonderful some workshops up at the Butter Museum in Shandon and they're going to be doing demos on things like traditional soda bread and butter and they'll be talking about spiced beef and they'll be talking and also the good guys from Lenehan Sweet Shop talking about traditional sweets in the Shandon area stuff like that samosas from the Syrian restaurant uh, Mayo's Cafe will be there uh, John mentioned the festival demo at the at the Marquis side in Emmet Place there's going to be a lot happening on Emmet Place and they're going to have stages there and live stages and everything outside and indeed inside the Crawford itself another good one here is um, um, an opportunity outside the Crawford to enjoy Clonakilty Black Pudding Taste Tasting. 
Um, um, and a lot, all of these are free now. Let me, let me get, there's also one or two other really great ones that I'll tell you about tomorrow, which is um, the, the story of cork food, literally tracing cork food down through uh, the generations for hundreds and hundreds of years, our food and where it came from and what people ate many, many years ago. So if you have time on your hands in the coming days, do check out corkandaforkfest.ie. Very finally, and we'll talk more about cork and a fork tomorrow, I've got some more family passes to give away to yet more wonderful cork locations across what's left of the summer. And this morning, it's Awesome Walls. They're in Eden Hall on the Model Farm Road. Fancy climbing the walls? Maybe you're doing it already. 800 metres squared of dedicated climbing surface and home to over 200 plus climbing routes. And there's something for everyone uh, of all abilities now, I have to say. And we have three passes to give away for Awesome Walls right now um, for the Climbing Centre out at uh, the Model Farm Road. We'll give it to callers 9, 10 and 11. Further details at awesomewalls.ie. Callers 9, 10 and 11 right now. Uh, phone lines are open. Each pass is a one-hour group climbing session for up to four people, sort of of adults and juniors alike. So get dialing for that on 0818 Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.